This week on the Jock and Nerd Podcast, the Ginger Geek Matt Dalhauer returns to deliver a new edition of What the Fuck Happened. This time, Dalhauer goes to the depths of hell and back for you, listener, as he recaps and breaks down the Keanu Reeves-led Constantine from 2005. That's happening right here in this edition of the Jock and Nerd Weekly for Monday, August 15th, 2022. <laughs> oh, hi, I didn't hear you come in. This is Ross Marquand from The Walking Dead, and you're listening to the Jock and Nerd Podcast. Now, if somebody could please explain to me what a geek boner is, my life would be complete. Until then, rock on, nation. Check. Check one. All right. This is Roy Crabbs out there. Hello, what's up, listener? How you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Jock and Nerd Podcast, where we give you comic book and superhero TV and movie news, reviews, and whatever we choose. Jock and Nerd! My name is Imran. My name's Anthony. He's the jock. He's a nerd. And joining us, he's kind of a sorcerer in his own right, kind of a magician of uh, the ginger species. He is the ginger geek. Matt Delhauer, what's up, buddy? What's going on, guys? Uh, I'm not magical, I'm just bi, so that's the most I have in common with John Constantine. <laughs> that's pretty magical. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Although, is the, ver- the version of Constantine we get in this movie, is he bi? No, I would call him asexual. Yeah. Yeah, it's unclear. You do audio magic, though, Delhauer. You bring audio magic every time you're on. <laughs> Wait, are we going into a flashback? No one told me. Yes, Imran, god damn it. That reminds me of like the Batman 66. Like, yeah, exactly. Pow, bam. Yes. Zorp. <laughs> Splat. Uh, okay, enough <laughs> of the onomatopoeias, everyone. Delhauer, for the new listener, why don't you tell? They've seen the title. Uh, we are we got you back for a new What the Fuck Happened edition. I believe it's been about a year. It's been What's a the last while, one we man. did. Yeah, last one was uh, Steel. It was Steel. Oh, yeah. wow. it was like a year ago. So. I think I think that was fall of last year or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been a little behind, but uh, this is going to be hey, a man, good one. I I've been I've been slacking. I get it. I do that. That's my brand. It's fine. <laughs> you're right on brand. At least you're consistent. <laughs> yeah. It's just going to be you know as time goes on, we went from doing like one every three months yep. to every six months yeah. to a year and soon enough i'm not going to show up for fucking five years <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be- and then the show's gonna end and then we're gonna have an instance where it's like oh it's a reunion show and it's a what the fuck happened because matt can't not be noticed <laughs> we do this every leap year now everybody <laughs> like the olympics now listen uh, tell the new listener what is what they're going to be experiencing in our what the fuck happened series and then tell them what movie and why we chose this movie, or you chose this movie. Hello, listener. New listener, I should say. I'm Matt Delhauer. You haven't heard my voice yet. This is What the Fuck Happened, where we take a look at comic book movies that were not great. And we talk about them. We decipher through the story. We uh, have a little chit-chat. We make some jokes. But we ultimately try and figure out, why did this movie not do as good as it could have? Um, and today, if you have looked at the title, which I assume you did because you pressed play on this episode, we are going to be talking about 2005's 
Constantine. Ooh. Uh, well, you, this was your choice. Why we, uh, how do we land on this? We landed on this mostly because I remember seeing this movie in the theater, and I remember enjoying this movie ah. when it was in the theater, uh-huh. and I remember being told to my face that this movie was bad, and that because I never read the Hellblazer comic, that's why I liked it, oh. um, and that I was hmm. wrong. Interesting. Okay, well, let's start there real quick with our movie watching histories. I myself, I think I only watched this movie once when it came out on, not in the theater. I think I waited till it came out on DVD or whatever. Watched it once and I was like, hey, it's all right. And I kind of forgot it and then recently rewatched it. Anthony, how many times have you watched this? Uh, I finished this about three minutes before we started recording. For the first time? Yes. Oh, oh God. Oh, I am wow. so excited to hear Anthony's. <laughs> virgin take on Constantine. Well, <laughs> I was familiar with the, I remember he- seeing the movie being marketed as a, I was, how old was I? Eight, six, seven, six, yeah, 16, tw- 17. I was going to say there? 2005. So you would have been 17. Okay. Yeah, so I was about 17. I remember it being marketed, had no idea. Constantine was part of any sort of comic. Just looked at like a, it looked like the, uh, a Neo, movie is with like ghosts and shit and demons that's what yeah, that's dude, what i felt this, like it was th- you and i were at the age where this shit was aimed directly at our demographic yeah, yeah good yeah. point uh but look even before that let me set this up real quick because this movie constantine based on the character john constantine from dc comics who first appeared uh, uh imran yeah imran yeah pronounce it right oh it's constantine isn't it is that's how they say it in the movie don't they and I, I, the first time i was like wait why are they saying Constantine? I prefer to call him John Constantine. Well, so yes, that's the problem. Uh, according to the creators, the comic book characters named John Constantine. Oh fuck! I've been the saying the movie. It. Yeah, the movie pronounced it John Constantine. Yeah. because we're Americans and that's how we read things. John. Hmm. Okay. Uh, wow, I've been saying it wrong my whole life. John Constantine. Uh, character first appeared in the Swamp Thing issue thirty-seven way back June. 1985, uh, John Constantine, created by Alan Moore, Stephen R. Bissett, Rick Beach, and John Totalben. And it wouldn't be until 1988 that he gets its own ongoing Vertigo series from DC titled Hellblazer that ran through 2013. And if you have not read any of these, oh, do yourself a favor. Go get the trades. I remember, look, the 90s, I was in art school. I was reading Sandman. And the Hellblazer, it was all dark and gothic and emo, and it was fucking fantastic. I love the 90s. So that was a hell of a time to be into these comics, because they were a little more adult. They were Vertigo, right? Uh, yeah. The movie on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, sitting at a 46% tomato meter, 5.5 out of 10. Audience rating, 72%. This movie was made for about $100 million. 70 to $100 million is the budget I could find. Uh, it opened only to twenty nine million opening weekend. Finishes worldwide box office two hundred and thirty million dollars uh, off the hundred million dollar budget. Only makes like seventy five million domestic. It was in the theaters for a long time, uh, and then just couldn't get it moving. This movie is the directorial debut of one Francis Lawrence, who after this uh, made uh, I Am Legend, directed I Am Legend. This guy did a lot of music videos. 
Like, wait, you're you're just gonna skip over him doing all the Hunger Games? Well, after he does music videos, he starts to get into movies as Constantine, uh, I Am Legend, and then does uh, he's like the Hunger Games guy now. He does Catching Fire, Mockingjay Part One, Part Two. I believe he's working on yet another Hunger Games movie. It is very interesting to me that the first Hunger Games movie was in basically an independent movie based on a book written by a woman, with the first movie directed by a woman. Oh yeah. And then it made a shit ton of money. Yeah, and they gave it to a man. And they and went, they... let's have ah, this white dude direct yes. every other movie in this he, series. Yeah, how did he end up as the Hunger Games guy? I don't know. He also did that movie Red Sparrow with J-Law, so they had a good time. I guess they got along. Yeah, working together. The movie has quite an incredible cast, actually. If you just listen to these names, Keanu Reeves as John Constantine, Rachel Weiss, a young Shia LaBeouf, Jimon Hunsu. Uh, you got Gavin Rossdale. Yes, that one. In his one and only acting role. The guy from Bush, who's all never has a shirt on when he's performing live. Briefly married to Gwen Stefani. That Gavin Rossdale. Tilda Swinton. Peter Stormari. So, quite an eclectic fucking crazy cast. I love it. Uh, listener, join this conversation before I turn it over to Delhauer. We have a Facebook group. It's called Jock and Nerd Nation. There's a link in the description. It's closed, exclusive, just for you. Let us know what you thought about Constantine. Uh, and with that... Well, well, you can call the movie Constantine. That's what God they say in the movie. They Imran. do say Constantine. <laughs> but on... Um, well, we'll talk about the Sandman show later. Did I just gaslight you into <laughs> remembering the name in the movie incorrectly? <laughs> what are we talking... It, yeah, it, you've really confused him. Was it, oh, wasn't it Bernstein Bears? The fuck <laughs> yeah. is going on? On the Sandman show... <laughs> They will talk about the same man show, but they pronounce it Constantine on that show, I believe. Anyways, Delhauer, got you here. Roll camera. Camera's rolling. Speed. Okay. And action, Delhauer. Uh, the first thing I'm going to say is before we get into anything with Imran pushing you guys to go to the Facebook page and, and interact, I want you to pause right now. I want you to go to the Facebook page. Let us know that you are giving us your opinion of the movie before you have heard anything we have said. Oh, I like that. Or the group. Go to the group or the page. Or just send us a comment. Yes. Whichever one. Yeah. Do that. Then come back. Listen to the episode. And then I want you to comment on your own post about how you <laughs> feel afterwards. <laughs> Excellent. It's a fun game. Okay. So here we are. Camera rolling. We are brought up initially on Constantine from 2005, and I'm going to say, with some dope-ass production logos. <laughs> we got WB, we got Vertigo DC, and these things are burning, they're falling apart, and we are going to see why when we get to view the depiction of hell in this movie later on. There are some amazing forms of CG in this movie, and there are also some not-so-great forms of CG in this movie, but I feel like these production titles, as well as the hell sequence, are on the better side of that. All right. Yeah. We open, as any great movie does, with a quote in text across the screen that is meant to explain, essentially, the most important part of the movie to us before we even get into it. And it tells us, he who possesses the spear of destiny holds the fate of the world in his hands. By the way, it's been missing since World War II. <laughs> Uh, we open up in Mexico, and you can tell it's Mexico, one, because it has the title that says Mexico, and two, because apparently we've decided in this movie that Mexico is a squalid wasteland of filth and no money. 
<laughs> as two as two young men are at some sort of I don't know ruins in Mexico, I guess, or possibly a soon-to-be construction site. I can't tell. It's just concrete blocks in the desert, and they're just picking through garbage. I think. So I don't know if that's like they're trying to find bottles to recycle, like, you know, all those people down in Chinatown in New York, (laughs) or if they're literally just digging in the dirt for fun because this movie's decided that Mexico is a third world fucking country. Just dirt. Nothing but dirt in Mexico. But one of them happens upon boards covered in the thinnest layer of dirt that just disintegrate under his foot as he finds a secret chamber in Mexico that houses a small Nazi flag that is wrapped around the Spear of Destiny. Whoa. The item we have to- we were told has been missing since World War II is discovered in the first two minutes of this movie. It was right there, only six inches below the surface. If the only they had searched in Mexico and just stomped on the ground a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> the Germans are like, nah, it can't be in Mexico. Come on, let's move well, it on. Um, here's the thing. I'm assuming a German put it there, Probably. because if it was wrapped in a Nazi flag, I guess that's where they hit it. You're not exactly doing a good job hiding that. No, it's, this, this right. is this is this is the best that they could do. They they they, you know, a lot of people love to talk about how bad the Nazis were, and they're <laughs> right, and this proves it. And you think it'd be like in a crypt behind a curse and a whole thing? No, like right Indiana Jones yes. told me that the Nazis had the ability to like think. This is the equivalent of stuffing it in a cabinet. <laughs> he was like, I'm going to leave it right here. It's fine. No one's going to search the drawer next to the stove. <laughs> it, it, it Also, it's that ongoing just trope. Well, I mean, you know, the Nazis were evil, but let's let's just associate the Nazis with anything super evil because it's just, they're just hand in hand at this point. The, the thing I find interesting, it says, he who possesses the spear of destiny holds the fate of the world in their hand. So why did the Nazis get rid of that? Why'd they lose? So it's like, oh, if we have it, we're going to win this war. You know what we should do? Hide it. (laughs) In Mexico. In Mexico. Mexico. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the guy who finds it immediately becomes possessed by it. We can tell because he instantly gets the this like branded tattoo of a like essentially a Celtic cross Mm. in his arm and just starts walking straight in one direction. His buddy tries to call out asking, what are you doing? He doesn't answer. And then he gets hit by a fucking car. And that car crumples around him as if he was one of the seven on the fucking boys. <laughs> so apparently, not only does this spear possess you, but it makes you super fucking human. And so that guy in the car, oh, he did. And that guy who got hit by the car, he's walking. Manuel is just fine, though. <laughs> and, and the third guy who is like, what are you doing? He's going to go home and probably have himself a beer. Title card. (laughs) Welcome to Constantine. (laughs) Traveling from Mexico, we go to the farthest point from Mexico we can, Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) Constantine, played by our beloved Keanu Reeves in 2005, looking exactly like he did in The Matrix, maybe a bit more hair. He arrives, chain-smoking cigarettes, to an apartment building somewhere in Los Angeles. Uh, What we have discovered in the previous scene is that a young mother who was making tea for her daughter just happened upon finding out that her daughter is possessed by a demon. 
Constantine arrives to be told by this overweight priest who I guess is his friend, but also really just kind of comes off as a major stan of him, telling him, I found you a good one, John, which means he clearly wants a pat on the head and to be told he's a good boy. John Constantine now decides he's going to go upstairs to discover what's going on with this possession as he discovers that this girl is in fact possessed by a demon. It is a soldier demon, as he says. Through trickery that involves him using a mirror, a bunch of guys swinging that mirror and just kind of punching this girl in the neck. (laughs) Uh, He tricks the demon into leaving her body to be trapped in this mirror that he then throws out of a window and destroys on the ground. No, not on the ground. On the hood of the cab that brought him here, driven by his friend, his best friend. (laughs) Oh, my God. Why did I forget his name already? Chez. Chaz, thank you. I was like, immediately the name Chris came into my mind. I'm like, that's not it. Played by our boy, Shia LaBeouf. Played by American sweetheart, Shia LaBeouf. Doesn't he tell him in that scene, move your car, and he he moves it to that spot? First off, he throws a chair through the window to open it. And then he yells out the window to Chaz, move the car! And he goes, okay, and he backs up four feet. (laughs) And so... Which means that the hood of the car is still directly under the window. Yeah, poor communication there. If he is yelling from that window, move the car, why would you ever assume he didn't mean clear the area below this window? Yeah, that scene confused me. I I was thinking, oh, he's moving the car to catch something. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's got to be the logical reason that he decided to back up and go right by the window. Did he mean move it closer? Nope, you're an idiot. No, it's, it's just that he's a fucking idiot. Yeah. So the, the mirror, the mirror <laughs> yes, in the middle of this ex, uh, exorcism, we get the moment where uh, Constantine uses his wonderful line of, this is Constantine, John Constantine, asshole. I love it. Which <laughs> apparently works because the demon freaks the fuck out at that. I'll say just real quick, that little uh, recreation of the exorcist. Mm-hmm. Not terrible, dude. It was no. yeah, it was kind of cool with the mirror. Actually, bit. yeah. What I think, I, what I think, I really like about it is if this is a moment, and you get a lot of this in the movie that I do really appreciate. This is a moment where we don't have anything explained to us. We learn through the action happening in the scene what is going on. Like John walks in, he puts the cigarette down. By cutting back to the cigarette burning, we're basically being told just how much time is passing yeah. in what's going on. Yeah. But he goes to the window, and the first thing he does is he is going through this like key ring of holy metals and he's waiting to see which one of them then makes the girl react and realizes this is the one I have to use. He does puts it on her skin. She starts screaming, says the name Constantine. The demon freaks out, which then tells us, Oh, he has a history with these beings. The whole thing with the mirror means that this is a thing he's done before. It's a trick that works and has worked well enough that it's his first go-to idea. This movie has a lot of world building that they do in a way where they don't spoon feed anything to you. And it's actually done well. Yeah, they just show you. And that's that little bit where he's like, don't look at her. And the dude looks and his like hair turns hair white. Go- yeah, he goes full on fucking Lovecraftian horror. Oh my God. Where his hair yeah. turns white and he goes insane. Yeah, little details. The thing's trying to smash out the mirror. But I was like, that's pretty dope. The scene. The thing that I, I have to question, though, is that it's trying to smash through the mirror. It gets its arm through. Yeah. And so he makes a comment later on that we'll touch on where he talks about like, oh, yeah, these things can't cross over. Well, if it broke through the mirror, would have it crossed over? Yeah. Because then that means that it's actually kind of really easy for them. Right. But anyway, 
smashes the mirror. Demon's gone. Girl's safe. He's gr- you know he's happy. He goes back to smoking his cigarette. Uh, and he walks down. Uh, but before he leaves the apartment, what he notices is a drawing on the wall that this girl did of the Spear of Destiny. Oh, yeah. So he takes it with him. As he's downstairs, he's talking to the, the priest that he's with. They have a whole conversation about how, you know, he's an alcoholic and he has this metal around his neck that's supposed to protect him from demons or voices or something. We don't really know yet. Uh, but throughout this entire scene, it's very obvious that th- this demon just wants Daddy Constantine to fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> like, he is so desperate He's for that for fucking John. validation yeah. kink. Like, I, I was good to you, right, John? I got you a good job, right, John? <laughs> got a good one, like, John. What a strange, like, way to set up this priest that's supposed to be his friend. I know. It, and it, it's 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 so odd in the fact that what we learn from, like, every connection he has in this movie is that... Not only are they all oddballs, but they all fucking worship Constantine, yeah. and he gives zero shits about any of them until the script tells him he needs to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, drunk priest is desperate to bang Constantine. Next note. Uh, John goes home. If we all remember our Green Lantern movie, <laughs> the best thing to do after a major scene, just send the protagonist back to their apartment. We go home. <laughs> Though I will say, what I love about the apartment that he has is it is very 2003 Daredevil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. It's, like it. it's this giant, weirdly gothic, steel-built apartment just in, like, the middle of downtown L.A. He's got, like, the, the, the remote control that lifts all of the steel plate curtains that he has around his fucking apartment. He's, like, pulling chains and shit on gears yeah. and fucking shit. And then he lights a cigarette, and that's all we needed in that place, I guess. <laughs> that's it. This movie does but make me because, want. It makes me want to smoke a lot. <laughs> it is very true that this is one of those movies where, like, you know how I feel like it was in the late '90s into about 2010. There were like parent groups that were like protesting the idea of smoking in movies because they're like, it's 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 brainwashing our kids into smoking cigarettes. This movie makes smoking look so fucking cool. I love the shot. <laughs> look, when I was like in art school, I would just do shots of like people smoking cigarettes or draw them that way because it's always cool. My only nitpick is every cigarette, if you notice, he'll smoke it halfway and then put it out. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're oh, yeah, wasting no. a whole he, cigarette. He doesn't have time for a whole cigarette. No, His life is too fucking busy. So he smokes a whole pack, which is technically half a pack, yeah. which tells me motherfuckers trying to quit. Okay. <laughs> He's trying. He's trying, but we'll find out. It's a little too late. We are then introduced to our female lead, Angela, played by Rachel Weiss, who is at a Catholic church confessing to a priest that she not only has killed a man, we find out she's actually a police officer, and is confessing to the fact that she believes she has a preternatural ability to not only find these criminals, but know the exact moment to fire her gun in order to murder them. Weird. That's the end of that scene. Because we then cut to a hospital. Turns out not just a hospital, but a mental hospital in Los Angeles, in which Angela is one of the people there. No, it's not. It's her (laughs) identical twin sister, Isabel, who gets out of her room somehow in a mental hospital, makes her way to the roof somehow in a mental hospital. Yes. (laughs) And then stands at the edge tears off the little bracelet around her wrist, looks behind her to nobody, and then jumps off the roof backwards where she falls like 20 stories through a, a cross-shaped uh, sky, skylight 
into a pool. Which they have in a mental hospital, I guess. She did. And she did. She has that tattoo on her arm also that we all It does turn out that she has that weird branding tattoo of some kind of Celtic cross on her arm that starts dissipating as she's dying. So there must be a reason. But we don't get to find that out just yet because John wakes up in the middle of the night and he's coughing blood into the sink. Oh, boy. So I guess what it turns out is that the hospital's not just a hospital, I guess, it, or not just a mental hospital. It's a hospital that has, like, a, a psychiatric wing. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Uh, because John goes to this hospital and is told that he is dying of lung cancer. And it's aggressive this time, John, which means he had lung cancer before. They apparently helped him beat it. And he, and he kept smoking. He just kept smoking. See? Uh, and now it's coming for him hardcore so he's gonna keep smoking because at this point what the fuck's the point he's dying at that same hospital angela as part of the police force is brought in and finds her sister because that's not a conflict of interest in any way (laughs) you could argue that they would have brought her in to identify the body but here's the thing they look exactly the fucking same Yeah, they don't, I don't think you need much ID. They can't exactly look at a dead body of your, one of the people on the force and go, is that her sister? <laughs> <laughs> so she has like a whole fucking mental breakdown, demanding to know what happened, saying this is a murder. My sister never would have killed herself. Everyone else is all like, go home, Angie. This is too much for you. And like, what are you even doing here? <laughs> they shouldn't have let you here. No one should have let you in. You should never, you should never be around your dead sister and be able to mourn this. And no, especially, no especially... At the scene, Honor they didn't job. even like br- it. Wasn't even like they told her by the time that they brought her to the morgue. They had her come in yeah. during during the moment that they were like cordoning off the area. She's at the crime scene. Yeah. Though I will admit that the shot that they do when she goes to see the body, where she pulls back the the sheet yeah. and is like face to face with herself, that's a really cool fucking shot. They did that yeah. very well, especially I was like, for the jump scare there. Yeah. yeah, especially with the camera like tilting and like zooming in so that they're like on either half of the screen that was that was pretty cool looking the director in this movie does some interesting things throughout the movie he has a great visual eye for things which makes a lot of sense coming out of music videos yeah Yeah, his camera camera honestly i honestly feel like as we go on i cannot say the direction of this movie is the problem Mm -hmm. i would agree with that 100 percent. i was watching this movie looking for all the telltale signs of an awful movie Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have all those signs Mm -hmm. no You've actually got a very visually interesting movie to watch. Ab- absolutely. And and as time goes on, I'm going to point it out more and more. Good. Um, Glad I could steal that thunder. <laughs> you're absolutely welcome to do so. This is your show. I'm just a guest doing all the work today. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead, magician. Pull a rabbit out of a hat. <laughs> it's in his pocket. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, magic. Um, so, mourning the death of her sister, Angela goes wandering back to the the uh, elevator, which is full of people, and John Constantine, <laughs> and as she walks up to get into it, as the doors are closing, she asks if the elevator is going down. John says, not if I can help it, and the doors shut, and he doesn't wait for her to get in. Constantine is not only lit up a cigarette in the doctor's office, he steps into the elevator smoking a cigarette. Do people used to do that? So here's the thing. I have to like I, I, I should have gone looking into this. 
But I want to know when was the the time that they then cut off the fact that you were not allowed to smoke I, in hospitals I, if anymore? If this is two thousand and five, I it, I, they were I still... honestly feel like I feel like at this point they would have like had the policy of like you can't fucking yeah, smoke it had to in be a hospital around then. Especially because he's coming out of a ward where they were doing x-rays and talking about cancer. I'm assuming (laughs) he's going to be around people who have really bad immune systems. (laughs) But he's just a dick and takes a lit cigarette into an elevator. The balls you got to have to do that. Let me tell you. I know. I know. This is is, is our protagonist. Imran doesn't care that he didn't let her in. He's more more worried about this lit cigarette. I I mean, mean, fuck her. Who cares? (laughs) Uh, There's another elevator. She'll get the next one. You know what? If anything, it was a blessing because she doesn't have to breathe in that secondhand smoke. Exactly. He saved her. (laughs) Um, So I called that their meat cute. Yeah. Because that's basically what it's supposed to be, except him being a dick. Mm Mm-hmm. So after we get that whole setup, we then cut back to our friend from Mexico with the spear. He uh, jumps over the border fence in a single bound. <laughs> and as he's now leave, have left Mexico and is in America, he's walking down a road and every animal on the side of the road is dying instantly in his presence. Are these cows? What were these things? I, a moose or something. Well, yeah, I couldn't I, tell what this so, was. I feel like maybe there's supposed to be some form of bison, bison or right? something. It kind of looked like that. It looked a little it looked a little slender to be bison, but then again, it was a wide shot. Yeah, Whatever very, very they were shot. supposed to be, they're dead now. And it's really, yeah, they're all gone. it's kind of dark. I'm like, what the, what the fuck animal is that? Oh, well. I, and I think that was the problem is I'm wondering if they like they came up with an animal, they put it in there and then someone was like that. That's not in the, the desert, you know, areas <laughs> yeah. of California. And they were like, all right, just make it fucking blurry. <laughs> it's whatever you think it was. So John has a visitor at his apartment. I do not learn his name until maybe an hour later in this movie. So I just referred to him <laughs> as his magic item dealer. Who is selling <laughs> is him beaming? things such as. And that is Beeman, yes. Beeman. Uh, and we have this whole entire, like, Q talking to Bond scene where he's like, you know, oh, yeah, I've got uh, I've got this. I've got Dragonfire, uh, which is a, basically like uh, a Chinese finger trap that spits fire out of it. And uh, they have a conversation in which John basically tells him, uh, I think demons are trying to cross over into our uh, realm. And Beeman tells him, well, that's not possible. And he goes, uh-huh. <laughs> That's right, but I think it's happening. Why don't you go look into, quote, the scrolls and find out? And guess what Beeman doesn't do? Look into the scrolls <laughs> to find out. Oh, yeah, he never checks the scrolls. No, he never looks into anything until John gets in touch with him again an hour later and demands he read the the Hell Bible. Anyway, John decides <laughs> he needs to go get more information, so he goes to a massive church-slash-library in Los Angeles on the way there. This is like the second of two scenes where he's in the cab with um, Chaz. Chaz and Chaz is basically trying to be like, so uh, why don't you take me out on jobs, John? Huh? You could teach me more. I could be more helpful. I could do more than just driving the car, John. You know, I could be out there and I could be helping you out. And he's just like, uh, no. And leaves. <laughs> he goes in. They're both trying to bother this priest about learning things. And by they both, I mean, it's the fact that we have this one moment where, Angela just appears behind him oh, she's like, a, there too? like a fucking ghost. And she's there to talk to the priest while John is not technically there to talk to the priest. He's there to talk to Gabriel, the archangel played by Tilda Swinton, the fucking queen of this movie. 
out of all the people they got into this movie, the one person who honestly didn't have to try but fucking blew it away is Tilda Swinton. I, yeah, I remember watching this the second time. I forgot she was in this. I was like, oh, shit, it's Tilda Swinton. It's fucking the angel Gabriel. That's brilliant. Can we see her? Is, she the, is he the only one that can see her angel wings that just flap out in the middle of that scene? Yes. Uh, yeah, I feel like okay. he only so sees that's, these that's part of That's part of his ability to yeah. see half-breeds that he's uh, had throughout oh, right, life. Right. Gotcha. He's talking to Gabriel and is basically trying to find out, uh, has he done enough in the name of God to barter his way into heaven now that he's dying of cancer? And Gabriel says, that ain't how it works, bud. Uh, and he gets pissed and says, well, why is that? And I'm going to say they, because I feel like whenever you cast Tilda Swinton in any role, it's meant to be androgynous. Yeah, definitely this role. Uh, they tell uh, Constantine that it's because no matter what he has done in, quote, the name of God, he has only done it to gain favor with God and not because he truly believes mm. or wants to do good. So basically, he gets told, fuck you, you're going to hell and ain't nobody going to do nothing about it. So he gets pissy and says, fuck the rules, or something like that. <laughs> Calls it all bullshit, and he leaves. Meanwhile, Angela's trying to barter with the priest that's there that they should be giving her sister a Catholic burial. Uh, and he's saying, well, no, we can't because we've been told that it was a suicide. And according to Catholic dogma, that's a mortal sin. And so we cannot do rites. They go straight to hell, right? That's the same in Islam, by the way. Suicide. And so it's yeah. it's the idea that, yes, killing yourself is a mortal sin. Yeah. It immediately casts your soul into hell. Yeah. She says, that's bullshit. My sister never would have done that. And I'm going to prove it. And she decides the best way to do that is to chase after John Constantine. But we'll get that in a second because we get a quick cutaway of uh, John's drunk big boy priest friend who apparently has psychic abilities. And is sitting in a room that is covered, that has all the windows covered in tinfoil as he is just touching newspapers. This is a weird scene. <laughs> I, and very strange. And yeah. the news stories are all just flooding into his head. Yeah. And he lands on the one about Isabel, Angela's sister, and her death. This is about the same time. Uh, so I think what it was was... Uh, I feel like I feel like my timeline here is going to get a little messy because this is this is a lot of shit happens like in the next five minutes of this movie. Angela approaches John outside of the, the church. They say something to each other. He blows her off and he goes walking off into the rain where Chaz is like, where are you going? I got the car here. Come on, Constantine. And now she knows his name. Yeah. So she learns his name. Yeah. We then have the priest doing his whole thing where he's finding the news stories. And then we go back to Angela and Father Hennessy. Father Hennessy. Thank you. <laughs> And like, he was hearing, like, the reporters' voices of these headlines. With yeah, his, it's, I didn't it's, understand it's, what was going he, on. He has the story basically being read in his head by the people who wrote them, I guess. Well, according to Wikipedia, he has an ability to communicate with the dead, but then where's that charm to keep the voices out? So I don't know what's going on. Whoa, that's weird. It was weird. I don't know how he, the voices of the dead are coming through the newspaper, but I mean, whatever. Thank, thank you, Wikipedia, because the movie sure as shit didn't say that. It doesn't that. tell no. you, yes. And I still don't know. It makes me even more confused that he's basically Braille reading the yeah. newspapers out loud. Yeah, like well, this is this is why I figured what it was was it was the idea that if he touched the newspaper, like the story was being read to him in his head by yeah. the person who wrote it. Yeah. Hmm. Because if it's the dead, that doesn't make sense. Why would the dead just read their own news stories? And it would stay. It would alternate between like a male voice and a female voice, right? Yeah. It went back and forth, so it was weird. So 
he he finds this news story about Isabel's death. We then go back to Angela in her apartment. She's watching the security cam footage, which is basically just the exact same shots of her death from the movie, but in like a grainy blue filter. <laughs> Um, and at one point, as Angela's falling asleep, and uh, Isabel looks at the camera and whispers the name Constantine. What? And then Angela, whoa, wakes up. Is like, what did I just hear? And, zo- and like rewinds, watches it again. Doesn't happen that time. You know what does happen? All the phones in her apartment start ringing. And I have to ask, this was weird too. <laughs> why does a single woman have so many living phones. in an apartment have ten phones? <laughs> With different distinct ringtones. That's what I was like. First of all, why are there so many phones, and why is this happening? And I don't think do they explain why this now, is happening. If, if you had done like a shot of it starts with her and then like goes out the window to her building and is like going up the building ah, and showing like every, every phone, phone in the ringing. apartment building's yeah, ringing, yeah. that would have made more sense. But no, we just see her in her apartment and we hear all these different phones, which tells me they are all in her apartment. Yeah, it was like 10 phones. I was like, why does she have so many phones? She's got a lot of burner phones. Uh, I a lot guess. of side pieces. A lot of, a lot of side pieces, yeah. Although, so I, don't know if you, I don't know if you had burner phones back then. I don't know if that was a thing. It, uh, no, in, in 05, they would have. She had yeah, a cell phone. We're only, we're only two years away from the uh, the iPhone, so you would have had like prepaid cell phones. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah that's true. Well, apparently, I'm going to assume that she lives right next door to the church they were at because John's still walking around in the rain and he stopped off at a little unusual uh, amount of rain in LA. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot and, yeah, of rain. <laughs> in 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 movie amounts of rain in LA. Yeah. Where he stops off at a gas and go and picks up like a a a fifth bottle of just some kind of liquor. And as he's about to drink it, he then gets uh, accosted by an old, uh, a homeless man asking if he has a light because John's in the middle of coughing all of his fucking lungs out on the side of the of the sidewalk. And as he goes to offer a match, we find out, whoa, it's a demon made of bugs. It's a swarm person. And, oh, and a crab. Oh, and it was a, a crab, too, yeah, for was, some there was, reason. There were, there were bugs, a crab, half of his face was made of a snake. He was wearing a hood of bugs. And so John gets into a fight with a swarm demon. I believe it is, uh, in stuff that I have read online, I believe they refer to this as the... Uh, like the pest king or oh, something like okay, that. Okay. Which why a crab is a part of that. I don't know. Yeah. Like crabs aren't, I mean, I guess crabs are giant bugs from the ocean. Yeah. I guess they're like, they're alien insects bugs. of the sea, but yeah. yeah, crabs aren't necessarily thought of the same way as we don't, bug. we don't, when you say, you never say a swarm of crabs. Right. I don't think. Is it a murder? Don't and, quote and, me on that. Cause <laughs> someone's going to come back and be like, actually a group of crabs is called a swarm. <laughs> And crabs aren't just as disgusting as mm. bugs are. We well, I, I would say we eat crabs, but plenty of people eat cockroaches. So fuck, what do I know, man? Now, yeah, can I anybody guess. else see what's going on? Do you think in this scene? This is the now. That's one of the things that I really find interesting about this scene is because as we have not even been told yet, but we will learn later on from John, he can see these like demons and and half breeds and everything like that because of this special gift slash curse he has that allows him to do that. So that means if only he can see this demon that's attacking him, then that means everybody who is currently on that like very, very busy street in Los Angeles <laughs> just seems some dude in a black and white suit <laughs> flailing around <laughs> in the around fucking the street. Car. A car? Well, see, here's the a, here's a thing. I think they can see it because... 
when he kills that demon, you see all the bugs yeah, splatter on the dude's car. Him. Yeah, the I, I was going to say, so the car hits it, and you see the bugs all explode across the windshield. Right. And then when the he stops. sees all the bugs laying around, he starts stomping on them, and they blow up in these little CGI green bursts. Okay, so yeah. everybody could see this, and nobody gave a fuck. So it's, it's one of those things where I guess it's potentially like half-breeds can't be seen, but like legitimate demons can. Because, like, at the same time, that dude who saw the one in the mirror instantly went insane. Oh, yeah. Right. So that tells me the guy who hit that demon with his car is now batshit insane. <laughs> Casualty. I hit some homeless guy and he blew up into bugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, the, and then Keanu turns around and goes, cans. <laughs> it was just cans. Don't worry. <laughs> cans. It was a, a, a crate full of cans. Cans. <laughs> Cans, don't worry. Cans. Is that Point Break reference? No, that's no, Speed. That's speed. <laughs> oh, Speed. When, when, when she Sandra hits Bullock... the baby carriage full yeah. of fucking oh, cans. Oh, that's right, cans. And, and she's like freaking out, and he turns around and goes, "Cans." <laughs> it Which was I, cans. What I love most about it is, why did she fill a baby carriage full <laughs> With, of cans? Right. Oh, Homeless God. people in L.A. back in 94, man. Yeah, they were, they were <laughs> a different breed, dude. carriages with cans. <laughs> Anything with wheels, man. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. Uh, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's exactly what I thought of when the car hits the bugs. I go, cans. So, <laughs> so uh, having just been attacked by a full-blood demon in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, I'm assuming. I don't know where we are in that city during this movie. I assume everywhere is downtown Los Angeles because I don't know that city. I felt like this movie was just located where Seven was located. Yeah, the same city. Like, where is this place? You know, it's, it's it's the same city that Seven, The Crow, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. fucking Dark City, like all that shit all took place in. Right, right. It's, it's the city from the Matrix, basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just metropolitan area. Uh, John decides his best bet after he's just been attacked by a full-blood demon in, um, let's call it broad moonlight, <laughs> um, decides he's going to go to uh, Papa Midnight, who uh, owns a nightclub in Los Angeles that is essentially Switzerland to the battle between <laughs> heaven and hell. Mm -hmm. Neutral. He gets there. Chaz is pumped. He thinks this is his chance to finally get into this club because it's a big deal, and it'll really establish him as, like, a badass who's a part of this underground world of demons and angels. And uh, he's like, you know, John, can you get me in? And John's like, yeah, you could get in if you can get in. It's, what does that mean, John? John, what do you mean? John, what's that mean? So we have established that Chaz is absolutely the Chris Tucker of this movie. Yeah, he's just being, just being annoying Shia the whole movie. Come in, come in, my man. Come in. <laughs> So uh, apparently the way to get into this club is that you have like a tarot card or some sh or like ink blot or some shit shown to you and you have to say what it is. And then if you get it right, you're allowed in. Yep. Uh, so John says two frogs on a log. Turns out that's right. Uh, Chaz walks up, says two frogs on a log and it gets blocked. Uh, and it turns out that the card was actually a rat in a dress. A rat in a dress. I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck this is. It's a funny <laughs> moment and it's a throwaway moment. <laughs> If you had cut this out of the movie, it would it, not have yeah, done anything fine. positive or negative to the story. Chaz does not get it. Actually, I think the only reason it's there is for later on when John just forces his way oh, into the yeah, club. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, John makes his way through the club, which is uh, the same club that we have seen in Blade, in <laughs> The Matrix, in... 
John Wick 1, 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, you know, Anthony, you've been to these places that's all red light everywhere. It's very dark. It's just the only light that exists is a strobe it's light. It's a strobe light and red. No other lights. Fun spots. Yeah, it looks, looks like a cool place. I'd go there. <laughs> so uh, he makes his way through where he sees, you know, all kinds of de- you know, half-breed demons and angels hanging out, just, yeah. even ones who are totally getting it on with each other. <laughs> And he makes his way to the back to go see Papa Midnight. Papa Midnight is, I guess, a voodoo priest. We kind of allude to that. Who is 100% neutral in this battle. One would say he's a witch doctor. Oh, does he call him a witch doctor at one point? No, I'm looking at Wikipedia. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is Gmon I, I do know that there's, there is a point. in It's either this scene or the next scene where John makes a whole comment about, like, you... And twenty other witch doctors standing against the powers of de- of, of hell, and then I saved you, or whatever the fuck it was. Hmm. But he basically goes there to tell Papa Midnight, "Hey, guess what? Um, a legitimate demon just attacked me. I know it's not supposed to happen. That's not ever going to happen. But guess what? It did." And he says, "I need to use the chair." Hmm. Um, and Papa Midnight says, "No." And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Scene over. Well, no, doesn't he talk shit to Balthazar for a little bit? He gets well, all yes, pissy yes, at it. Yes, this is where we establish Balthazar, who is played <laughs> by Gavin Rosdale. Uh, and he talks shit to John even more, because then John starts coughing up a whole bunch. He says, what was that, John? I couldn't quite make that out. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Bush, Gavin Rosdale. It's amazing. He's honestly, he's actually good in this. He's in he's the, he bad. does he a good job. Bad. Yeah, it was just, I did I mean, not expect I, to to I'm not going to say the man deserves an Oscar for his round as Balthazar, the half-demon in Constantine, but, like, he proved he knows what he's doing enough to, like, be a part of this B-movie. The, the aesthetic of the club scene, as well as uh, Papa Midnight talking about, like, oh, you know, I have rules in my club. You're not allowed to, like, fight each other or whatever. I was like, did John Wick steal a shit ton of its world building oh, from boy. Constantine? Yeah, yeah, it's very proto-John Wick at times, uh, Keanu, in this. We got back to John's apartment where we have what is actually surprisingly a fairly poignant scene. Uh, John is drinking a uh, scotch whiskey and smoking a cigarette because what scene in this movie is he not? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sees a spider crawl up onto the uh, coffee table, yeah. at which point he traps it under the whiskey glass and then he blows cigarette smoke into it and keeps it there and comments, welcome to my life. <laughs> He's trying to give the spider lung cancer. Is that what's happening? So I think to to put on my, my film nerd hat for a moment, this spider being in John's life is trapped in a whiskey glass full of smoke ah. that it cannot escape ah. and will most likely die in. It's metaphorical. Yes, I see. And that's and that's then played even more on the fact that later in this scene, as we will see, uh, Angela comes to visit him and is asking for his help in investigating his sister's suicide, but most likely murder, which John is just giving her a bunch of shit and rebuking her for. She takes the glass off the spider and lets it escape. Yeah, because she's the one who's going to save him from this hell of cigarette smoke and whiskey glasses. Oh, I like that. So. You guys didn't think I'd find a fucking movie that actually has metaphorical storytelling in it in this series, and neither did I. I some deep shit in here. Anyway, so she, yes, she shows up and tells him the whole story about her sister. She claimed she could see shit. They put her in a mental hospital. 
She jumped off the roof. Everyone thinks it's suicide, but I don't think that's true because she was Catholic. John gives her comments like, mental patient killing herself? I don't think... Yo, mental patient killing herself? Well, that would be crazy. (laughs) Ultimately, basically tells her fucking kick bricks lady, and she winds up leaving. The other thing I like about this scene is when he lets her in, there's another moment of visual world building where we see that he has runes carved into the door jam of his apartment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a protection. Again, in a lesser movie, she would have seen them and been like, what are those? And then he would have had to explain it. Right. This movie says, fuck you. If you don't get it, you're not paying attention anyway. So she leaves. But as she leaves, John suddenly notices the shadows of probably demons flying by his window. But they're not coming at him, which means they're after someone else. And he runs out the door. He then catches up with Angela starts trying to explain to her the world he lives in about angels and demons and the war between them and how basically humans are just puppets and playthings for them to all fuck around with. And, uh, you know, they can't directly interfere with us, but they can try and manipulate us and so on and so forth. And she just kind of says, you know, you have a reputation of being a nut job at the uh, precinct. And then all the lights in the street go out. And she asks, what's going on? And he says, oh, you're going to want to close your eyes. Or something like that, I think. Even yep. though, like, if she had closed her eyes, then she never would have noticed that he's telling the truth. Um, and he takes a piece of cloth out of his jacket, wraps it around his arm, and then he lights it on fire. And as it burns, it destroys a shit ton of demons that are swarming in on them at once. We would later find out, not in the movie, but online based on stuff the director said that that piece of cloth was supposed to be the Shroud of Moses. I read that. Yeah, I did read about that. Well, I'm more curious, what street in Los Angeles is that empty? (laughs) It's the middle of the night. No matter what time at night, correct. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I will say, though, despite how much it's very very obviously just a, a line for the trailer of the movie, I do kind of like the exchange where he's talking about everything, and she responds with, I don't believe in the devil. And he goes, oh, that's a shame. He believes in you. Yeah, it's a good line. Yeah, and like the, line. the reveal is cool when he lights the thing and you see all the demons. I, I love that visual. That, shit, that is that looks, such a cool fucking visual. It looks fucking cool. And the light's coming out, and they're just all getting exploded. Exploded. It's great. We cut back to her apartment where she well, has a cat. You, for, you forgot the one that she vomits, and he goes, that always happens the first time. Oh, yeah. It's the sulfur. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I love the idea that every time a human sees a demon for the first time, they vomit. Except yeah. for that one guy <laughs> who was driven insane. <laughs> I guess he was just made of, he wasn't made of as tough of stuff as yeah. uh, as Angela. The, the rules kind of uh, change a little yeah, bit. I, I was right. like, oh, she, he wants her to close her eyes so she doesn't have her hair turn white and she just vomits. Yeah, she just, she just vomits. Oh, okay. Um, so back at her apartment with the cat that used to be um, Isabel's, which, by the way, who was taking care of that cat while Isabel was in the mental hospital. (laughs) They talk a little bit more, and he's explaining that the best thing that he can do in order to try and find out was her sister possessed or did she kill herself is he has to essentially do this ritual that will let him peer into hell and find out. This, (laughs) This ritual involves him sitting on a chair with his feet submerged in a pot of water, and holding onto a cat and staring into its <laughs> eyes. Because he had, he explains, cats are half in and half out of the afterlife anyway. That's a kind of a great line also. Which I do like, yes. because that means we're now tying this into Egyptian mythology. Yeah. 
She sits down, crisscross applesauce, ready to see the ma- the magician at work, and he tells her, get out of the apartment. <laughs> you have to leave. Which is immediately a moment where I was like, okay, so this feels like we're getting a little bit of that weird, like, shyster con man, like, uh, Constantine shit, where it's like, no, you, you can't be in the room while I do it, though. Oh, okay. So she begrudgingly agrees to leave the apartment, gets up, walks out, and as she's closing the door, time slows down as John's doing this ritual. And he finds himself in hell! And hell looks fucking cool. Yeah, what does hell look like here? (laughs) So hell is designed in this way, um, described by the director, um, uh, Francis Lawrence? Francis Lawrence. Was his full name? Yeah. The way he described, uh, the way they designed hell is they designed hell to look in a way where it is essentially our world. So John finds himself on one of the major highways in Los Angeles, but hell is perpetually caught in that sort of moment of shockwave blast from a nuclear explosion. Yeah. So things are all burned, singeing. There is constantly this whipping wind moving everything around. And there's also this sort of biological growth, almost like the upside down from yes, Stranger Things. Yes, I thought of the upside like, down. Yeah, that's like covering over everything. Because he's still in the apartment, right? You're like in the same well, location it's, it's where you are. But it's what I think is weird is that he starts in the apartment, but when he comes to in hell, like he's sitting in the apartment, but then he like climbs upwards onto oh. uh, an overpass. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that means her her apartment is under an overpass in Los Angeles, I guess. I, I'll take that to be true because we don't, we don't know the geography of this place fucking ever. It is a, a cool looking hell. Like it's crazy looking. And so as he is making his way through this hell, uh, he is becoming noticed by more and more demons that all sniff him out because underneath that overpass is just this writhing mass of demons, like torturing people. Plus, he probably sent a lot of them there, right? That's what I thought. Oh, they know about him. Yeah, well, that, like, that's oh, one shit, of the things. That was one of the things he had he had made a comment about. Is like, you know, why would you want to go to a prison where most of the people like locked up there were sent there by you? Yeah. And he knew like a cop would get that understanding. Yeah. And so as he's walking down this um this overpass or this this like mega highway, he comes across Isabel just like standing at the end of it as it's broken off. So I guess she's not damned to be stuck on top of the building that she died on. She's just here. Uh, she does the exact oh, yeah. same bit where she is standing there and then turns around and looks directly at the camera like she did earlier. So I guess we're supposed to believe that as she was dying, she was viewing this moment in hell. I guess. She was uh, there. That's why, that's why when she turns around and sees him, she calls him out as Constantine by name. And then she jumps. But she ripped off her uh, wristband like she did in in real life, and it's floating around in the air. So John decides, that's the proof I can grab to prove that uh, Isabel is in hell. So he runs to go grab it. And at this moment, all the demons are jumping out to go get him. And he's leaping, and it's slow motion, and he gets it in his hand, and then he smashes a marble full of holy water, I guess, on himself, or whatever it is. And he's instantly back in the real world. And it's only been a split second in the real world time because before Angela could close the door fully, it blows back open and he's sitting in the chair and he's steaming like he himself just came out of like a hot house into a cold winter day. Again, kind of a cool scene visually. Oh, it's, it's an awesome the fucking visual. jump and the grab and the demons on him. I was like, oh, shit. The, like the shot when she walks back into the apartment yeah. and it's the entire floor is covered in water. He is doubled over in the chair and, and he's just steaming. Yeah. 
is so cool looking. Yeah. It turns out her sister's in hell. She killed herself. Case closed. <laughs> Roll credits. No, She's wait. damn forever and the movie. Can't do nothing to Except help Except the fact that our friend, Father Hennessy, having found her uh, news story about her suicide, has snuck his way into the morgue that is holding her body. And so he uh, creepily makes his way into the freezer where they keep the bodies, and he's looking around and trying to find them until he finds her. And he fucks her. (laughs) And he he slowly (laughs) undoes his shirt. No. Um, (laughs) What he does is he grabs her arm to try and, I guess, learn more about her death through psychometry, which is a thing that I learned about in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. Which, if it's the same thing as Dungeons and Dragons, means that by touching an object, or in this case, a dead body, you essentially learn something about its past psychically. Okay. Okay. I'm guessing this means he's trying to learn about her death and what caused it and why it's calling out to him. We don't really learn anything psychically, but what he does see is that scar tattoo thing that was on her wrist earlier comes back. And he panics. And as he's running out, a security guard shows up and goes, wait, who are you? Hey, slow down. As he just bowls over this guy and runs out of the, uh, the, the morgue. He starts hearing all these voices in his head now, and he's not wearing his safety amulet. And he decides, because he explained to John earlier that the reason he's an alcoholic is because the drink makes the voices go away. He runs into a liquor store and decides he needs to drink right now because his flask is empty. And so he grabs a bottle of vodka, and he opens it, and he goes to drink it, and it's pouring out of the bottle, but there's nothing coming out of the bottle. It's very weird. And so now he grabs another bottle, same thing. He grabs a wine bottle, the same thing. He starts breaking bottles open and trying to drink them, and it's not happening. And oh my god, what's happening to him? He's freaking out. But now he starts coughing up liquor, and he's drowning in it. And so he runs over to the counter, and he grabs a corkscrew, and starts stabbing himself in the hand as he drowns in alcohol, and we find out that Balthazar was there the whole time. I knew it was Gavin Rossdale. Stupid Bush. (laughs) I knew you ruined Woodstock 99. (laughs) Where's your machine man now, Gavin? Um, Machine head. So at this point, while this is happening, this is when John starts to explain to Angela about his ability and how, oh, I could see what I call half-breeds, and that's where we get that moment where it shows Gavin Rosdale with his red eyes, and we see that apparently the clerk at the liquor store is an angel. Yeah, he was an angel. That was such a random throw-in, too. And it's like, I like the visual of him leaning over the dying priest and his wings, like, flying out, but it's also like, what you couldn't have done more to do something. Then just like watching him die and being like, by the way, I'm an angel. So are we supposed to believe Balthazar cursed him in that yes. moment? And- it's the most I can pull from that because Balthazar had something to do with Isabel's death and that whether it was him looking into Isabel or maybe Balthazar off in the, the shadows like whispering at him, mm-hmm. he was the one who led to the priest not recognizing that he was drowning himself in alcohol. Mm. It's a disturbing yeah, I it was a, yeah, it was a, that was a weird, also a very oddly odd scene in a good yeah. way, but I, I was also a little bit confused. Yeah, the actual, what was happening in the moment is like, oh, this is like very unsettling. But then when it's right. like trying to explain how it happened, you're like, nah, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. <laughs> yeah. 
what exactly is Balthazar's power again? How is he able to do that? So as he's, ex- as he's explaining is he claims that, you know, these half breeds, whether they're angels or demons, they, the only thing they can do is they can essentially manipulate humans into behaving in certain ways. So like they whisper in their ear and that's the push they need to be mm. ultimately good or ultimately evil in their lives. So he said um, to him, you're never going to taste alcohol. No. So I, th- uh, I think or I, who knows? No, I think uh. what happened is we saw the, the alcohol. What we saw, what he saw, the alcohol wasn't coming out. But I think in reality, he was drinking that alcohol. He just well, didn't yes, know. Yes. Right. Yes. That's so what was he, well, that's, that, that is that's that clear. Is, that is what's going on. Okay. What, what Anthony and I are talking about is what did Balthazar do oh. to make that happen to him? When did he do that to him? Yeah, I don't. Exactly. Yep. Um, he also then explains that he has the ability to see them. He's had this ability since he was a child. And as a teenager, he decided to commit suicide because of it. And he technically died for two minutes and was in hell. And then he was resuscitated. And because he committed suicide, went to hell and came back, that means his soul in Catholic dogma is forever tainted and considered to be destined to go to hell when he dies. And this is... This is why he's been trying to kill demons and send them back and getting God's good books is maybe when I die, I can actually go to heaven. And apparently he was wrong. Um, then they get the call. They go to the liquor store because the priest is there. I guess Angela gets the call because I guess she's on the homicide squad. Uh, but she brings John along and John discovers that he has stabbed that like Celtic cross tattoo design into his hand. And that was like a message to him. Uh, I think it's also funny is that John sees his dead body and he just goes, why didn't you call? <laughs> well, because you fucking treat all your friends like shit, John. <laughs> <laughs> We're also supposed to like feel bad that his friend died, but it's like, but you've just portrayed this guy as one of the weirdest motherfuckers like, on he screen. He is so off-putting. Yeah. I'm supposed to feel so bad about this guy dying, but he's so creepy. Yeah. Also, the cops just let some random dude on the crime scene and fuck with all the evidence. Well, it's not even just some random dude. They know who the fuck he oh, is. They know the, who cop, he is. The, the cop on the scene is like, what is he doing here? Yeah, he has that look like, oh, what, this fucking asshole? They Get just, him out yeah. of here. Little- as, in, as in, like, he's skulked around scenes before and they had to chase him off. <laughs> he's tainting the crime scene with his ice and his all everything he was doing. Uh, the fact that he takes a napkin and presses it on the guy's palm to, like, get the design from the blood. Like, well, great. Now your fingerprints are on the yeah, fucking what's, body, what's, dude. What are you doing? Yeah. What I find interesting is, that, like, they get they get that palm print. And the first thing that they do is they then go to a scene where they're back in, like, Izzy's hotel, like, in hotel, hospital room. Um, And they are looking to see, did she leave any kind of a clue that only Angela would find? And, like, it gets to a point where John is straight up abusing a woman who is grieving the death of her twin sister. Oh, yeah, he's just yelling oh, at her. Oh, that's he's just, right. He's just like, she knew you'd come. She, knew, she knows you're a cop. What did she What's know? the thing she would have left that only a cop would have found? That only you would have found? She's like, I don't know. He's like, yes, you do. Being a big dick. <laughs> just, like, fucking yelling at her. And what I find funny is that works. Yeah. <laughs> because, like. Like, she then, like, starts crying and then immediately looks at the window and is like, we used to leave messages that you could only see through light and breath, which is, why is, what is that? How do you describe that? <laughs> maybe, maybe just say, we used to write on windows and you could only see it by fogging the window up. Also very questionable that message would have stayed on that window for much longer You're than You're telling me a hospital evening. crew didn't come in here Nobody's and fucking clean this room? Right, after a dead woman was this in there? 
So they find it, and apparently what she calls out is a passage in the Bible. I didn't write down which one. It's Corinthians 17, but that doesn't exist. So right. they're in the car, and now we're in that moment of, uh, of law and order where they have to call the expert. Because she's like, well, Corinthians doesn't go to 17. John goes, in the Bible in hell it does. Oh, oh. oh there's a Bible in hell? Yes. There, good. Explanation done. Hell Bible, of course. So they call up, uh, fuck, you knew his name and I don't. Beeman? Beeman? Beeman. Yeah. They call up Beeman and they tell him he needs to look into the Bible from hell and tell him what Corinthians 17 is about. And this is where we finally find out the plot of the movie. <laughs> oh, jeez. Halfway through the fucking movie. I mean, th- th- we've already been following a plot, but we find out, like, what's what's it all about. Yeah. Um, in the Bible from hell in Corinthians 17, it talks about how, uh... Memon, the son of Satan, uh-huh. will have will push his way to invade Earth and like take it over and put it in his own form, but it requires divine help in doing so. Ooh. And so John's like, well, God has to help him do it, and like doesn't understand what's happening. And so that's the end of that scene. They hang up, and Beeman gets murdered by the bug demon. Is this Balthazar doing again? I don't know if Balthazar did it, but I'm guessing he probably sicked the bug demon on him. Because, like, by the time we get to the end of Balthazar's story, he's kind of playing like he was the orchestrator of everything. Oh, yeah, he's taking orders, though, right? Yeah. That but, was another creepy scene, though, with the bug crawling out the guy's eye. Yeah. You know, what a, the oh, fuck? yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Was, that was a knock. And then out of his mouth and shit. Yeah. But, um... Before we ever even find out about Beeman being fully dead, uh, we go back to the spear guy. Manuel. He's back and better than ever because he stole a car. What's Manuel doing? All right. Back to Los Angeles. <laughs> That's it. Well, that, that spear is the, what is that? The whatever they fucking spear call of it. Destiny. But it's spear of destiny. Spear of destiny where it has the, the blood of Christ. It was yes. the, the weapon that had murdered Christ the during his crucifixion. Yes, and that's um, what you need. You need that to get Mamoon back or Mamoon, try- whatever. I'm trying to think. I don't know if they ever got into that moment yet, but I I know at some point he winds up explaining that whole thing to Angela. I don't remember at what point because they have at least two or three scenes where he just fucking spouts exposition about like what's going on at her. <laughs> um, so he tries to send Angela away and is all like, "This is too much. It's too dangerous. You can't be here anymore." And she's all like, "No, John, I want to be a part of it." And it actually has, like, a a nice little bit of framing where, like, as they're talking, she's behind a door that has, like, green glass in Mm -hmm. it, so you can't really see her, and he's, like, completely exposed in the open door, and as she's saying, like, no, I want to help, I want to know more, she, like, walks into frame with him, so it's like she's coming out of uh, being, you know, uh, uh, ignorant and Mm -hmm. now wants to be in the light of understanding Mm -hmm. what's happening. Um. So they decide what they need to do is they need to reawaken her sight because it turns out that uh, she and her sister both had the ability to see things when they were children. But uh, Izzy was considered crazy and Angela just lied and said she didn't see anything until finally it just went away. Mm. But now she needs that because it's a weapon that they can use against evil. And now we get the uh, the famous and maybe infamous bathtub oh, scene from a, this movie. It's a fucked up scene, too. Where uh, they fill the tub with water, they have Angela get into it, and John basically has to forcefully drown her in a bathtub until she nearly dies and then regains the ability to see over into the afterlife. And it's just this unsettling scene of a woman suddenly realizing that 
a man she maybe doesn't know at all and trusted a little too much is definitely trying to kill her. It goes on and you see it in her face and it is. He's like, you have to be fully submerged. And I'm like, you're just going to let him hold you down. And like she she starts thrashing around yeah. and trying to fight him and he's holding her down. And this is, I think, one of the five scenes in this movie coming up in which just <laughs> somebody in a white shirt gets fucking soaked. <laughs> Everybody in white shirts gets wet. It's like, yes. no, we don't have nudity in our movie, but like there's a shit ton of wet T-shirt yeah, scenes. Yeah, great wet T-shirt stuff. So the bathtub explodes. They spill out across the fucking floor, and she wound up seeing a vision of Beeman being killed by the demon. So now they need to run off to Beeman's place, which apparently is pretty close, because when they arrive at the uh, bowling alley that he takes refuge in, they're both still soaked. Turns out Beeman's dead, and uh, her, her newfound sight leads her to finding the coin that Balthazar was playing around with when he was at uh, Papa Midnight's. So John knows it's Balthazar. And he decides, all right, it's time to get serious. I'm going to build a gun that looks like a cross made out of fucking gold. It's badass. <laughs> <laughs> right, and Beeman has all this shit right there. So. Like he just has all this shit hanging yes. around. So John, John's like, I'm just going to do this. So, like, what do you need him for? I mean, I guess he's your supply guy, but, like, you just did this on a whim, dude. He decides he's going to go to... Whatever the fucking weird corporate entity is that I guess Balthazar is the head of, because we're playing on the idea that a demon runs a mega corporation, because that makes sense. Of course. Right. Yeah. Um, and they get there, and they're in the parking garage, and we have that moment where it seems like they're about to kiss, uh, but actually John's giving her the, the medallion from the, the priest, uh, Father Hennessy, that's supposed to like protect her from evil. Uh, I didn't look up what the design of like that pendant is, but it's it almost looks like it's supposed to be like Norse or pagan yeah. in design. Yeah, so that's good enough for yeah. me. John goes in, and uh, Balthazar is in this big ass boardroom where he's like checking his hair in the mirror, and then the mirror starts bubbling and melting, and then he gets hit because the barrel of that shotgun is Dragon's Breath. <laughs> And Balthazar makes a whole comment about, like, really, John? Fire? I was born in this stuff. Molded by it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you were born in the darkness. <laughs> you merely adopted the fire. <laughs> um, so John's like, okay, great. And he throws a bunch of fucking, like, like holy, holy, water, holy yeah. water grenades at him. It just starts melting his face. And another, then, another, another pretty decent visual. Yeah, with the guy's it, it face looks melting. pretty good. Yeah. And then he puts on these golden brass knuckles that have crosses on the knuckles. That's great. That's great. It just starts fucking punching him. <laughs> in the face. Well, what, what's great about that is his face is burning up, right? And Balthazar's holding him by one hand, like by the neck, yeah. up mm -hmm. against the wall. And he just lets Constantine just throw on these brass knucks without even like Stopping using him. his other arm like, to stop him. He's just like, yeah, put those on. I know you're going to put those on and I know you're going to punch me in the face. He's just watching yeah, I really him love, do it. I love the idea of going for like the realistic fight in this movie where he's like struggling to put on the, the brass knuckles and, and like Balthazar is like hitting him with one hand like, no, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. Put it. No, no. So he starts punching the crap out of him with these brass knuckles and starts demanding to find like to know, you know, what's what's Maman's plan? How's he supposed to cross over? You're going to tell me. Meanwhile, Angela, who's sitting down in the, the garage, uh, is like, I'm not just going to sit around and wait. So she takes off her jacket because we can't not have Rachel Weiss in a fucking tank top throughout this movie. 
Uh, and that jacket, I guess she somehow accidentally took off the fucking okay, medallion does, while doing how that. How does that even, the medallion, he put it around her neck. <laughs> he puts it around when her neck. When you take off a jacket that will not dislodge something completely it somehow, over it your somehow head. somehow unhooks the, 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 the medallion. I was like, how'd that stuck, <laughs> Gets stuck on the jacket. Like, she doesn't feel it come off how and just that throws her jacket happen? in the car. Oh, well, whatever. So Constantine then threatens that if Balthazar isn't going to tell him how he uh, how Maman plans on crossing over, he's just going to give him his last rites to send him to heaven as he dies. And he's like, oh, demon in heaven. Like to see how that goes. (laughs) So he starts just chanting in Latin and Balthazar starts panicking. And finally decides to give up, like, the, the whole thing about, like, oh, you know, he, he found the spear of destiny or whatever. And he, he, my whole job is I was supposed to draw out the psychic. And then Angela shows up and he's like, oh, and it looks like you did my job for me. And John Constantine, who's a fucking idiot throughout this movie, is like, <laughs> huh? <laughs> but he then does at least give away the, the, like, the whole gag about, like, oh, the only way that you could be sent to heaven is you have to ask for repentance, idiot. And then, like, blows up his head. So I didn't understand this threat. First of all, he doesn't do it in Latin. It's the all the other spells are in Latin. He's doing this in English. He's like reading the Bible in English. Oh, you're right. I'm I'm mixing this up with um with when he later in the movie. The thing that I find funny is that the majority of the Latin he speaks in this movie yeah. is just him saying in the nome de patria de fili and the spirit de sancti. <laughs> That's all he says. Which is just him saying fa- in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy over Spirit and over, over and over and over again. <laughs> and apparently that's enough to combat the greatest evils. Yeah, I didn't get what the threat he was trying with over Balthazar. So the threat the threat in the fact that I grew up in in Catholic church is the idea that those who are in the Catholic and Christian right. faith, when they are on their deathbed, can ask for their last rites, right. in which they essentially are repenting for every sin that they've ever had. A priest is blessing them and saying that in the name of the Father, yeah. you have been forgiven of all of your okay. sins and will be welcomed into heaven upon your death. He is threatening the idea that if I forgive you of all of your sins, when I kill you, you're going to go to heaven, where you as a demon, a creature of hell, will be trapped in a world that is entirely the opposite of yours, and that is the greatest torture I can ever think of. Heaven is hell for demons. Oh, it's opposite. Got it. You, as in, you don't want to go to you don't want to go to hell. A a demon would never want to go to hell. Okay, he's like, oh, you got to ask for repentance, asshole. Like it doesn't work like that. Got it. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. But that was just a threat, right? He actually couldn't had didn't have the power to do that. He could not he could yeah. not do it. What he was saying was unless you ask me for forgiveness in order to enter heaven, okay. I cannot forgive you of your sins and have you sent but to Bell heaven. Hazar obviously right. is not a practicing Catholic, so he wouldn't know that. Okay. He just thought he yes. took the threat at face uh, value and uh, was like, Fucking hell, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> um and then I, I think I think he's the one like does he does Balthazar's head just like dissolve at that point or something? I don't really remember the final. John blow. blows him up. Yeah. Oh, he blows yeah. him up. All right, all right. No, then somebody shows up. Well, no, because because what it was is then he starts making threats about like, oh, well, you know, my job was to draw was to draw her out, and you did it for me, and then yeah, I think John shoots him with the shotgun, and his fucking head blows up. Yep. But then somebody approaches Balthazar. We don't see who this body is, and he's like, I did what you asked. Put me back together. And then he, and then uh, he doesn't, doesn't, and doesn't. he just lets him blow away in the wind. Who the fuck was that guy? Uh, that was clearly Maman who was possessing the body of the Manuel. Yeah. Oh, Manuel. Come on, man. Don't forget about Manuel. I forgot about Manuel. <laughs> forget about Manuel. Manuel's been driving. So I know. He's, like, he's, so far he's been traveling for three days. Yeah. <laughs> Angela is then 
grabbed by a demon that we don't actually see and dragged through like 75 walls in this building oh, until she's pulled out of it. That's a crazy John scene. tries chasing after, doesn't catch up, and then we have a really cool shot of him running up to the hole in the wall as the camera goes pulling back as yeah. if it's the demon flying away. Again, the visuals in this movie are fucking dope. That was pretty great, and then she just goes flying out the window off into uh, wherever. Yeah, It's like the scene in Ghostbusters 2 when uh, when uh, whatever the fuck that demon is takes the Vigo. baby. Vigo takes the baby oh, through yeah. the window and uh, yep, pulls him out. Yep, when they all go running up. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, Similar, so this yet is different. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's close, but not exactly. <laughs> All right, so John's in a bad place now. Um, it turns out uh, Angela <laughs> forgot about the, the medallion she was given literally 20 minutes ago. Uh, gets grabbed by a demon, gets flown away. So John decides there's only one thing I can do. Goes back to Papa Midnight, and he punches out the, bu- the bouncer. And Chaz fucking rubs it in that guy's face. <laughs> And they go in, and he starts yelling at Papa Midnight, making threats. Papa Midnight shoves his hands all the way into John's chest. It's weird. And basically tells him, fuck you, you don't do what you tell me. <laughs> um, and then he talks him down and basically says, like, you know, uh, Maman's coming through, the demons are breaking the code, why the hell would you hold neutrality if they won't? And my- Midnight's like, all right, you make a point. So he tells him, I need to use the chair. And they do. The and chair. the chair... Is literally just an electric chair, but I guess it has something to do with all of the various murderous souls that were executed in it. It yeah. haunts it now or something. Two hundred souls pass through that chair. They set it up. He has to point it to the east. They pour water all over the floor. John takes his shoes off, and while he's in the chair, Papa Midnight uses a floor lamp that he breaks the light of, so it's just the filament. Which I don't know if that's how that works ever. <laughs> um, and he electrocutes him with it. And this allows John to essentially just have a vision of what might happen in the future, and it points him in the direction of the hospital. So you got to die to activate these things and see hell and shit. That's what I'm getting it, Essentially what it is is that in order to see this shit, you have to be, like, just on that veil yeah, yeah. of alive and dead. Yeah. Um, which, honestly, makes sense to me. Yeah. I get it. Uh, no questions here. Moving on. We then get to see that apparently Angela was thrown off the roof that her sister jumped off of and lands in the same pool. But because there was no skylight, I guess this doesn't fucking hurt her at all. Also, how long was she flying through the air? This whole time they do a whole scene, they cut away and then she still fly and then she lands finally. I don't know. Maybe they were circling around for a bit. (laughs) But um, she lands in the fucking pool now we're right back into uh, wet t-shirt territory. <laughs> uh, but there's somebody else in that pool. And it's Manuel! And so they struggle and they fight and she tries to get away and then she gets pulled back into the pool and that's the end of that scene. So she's in danger. They then decide that they need to try and find a way that they can enter this hospital. What they can do to try and uh, defeat the numerous half-breeds that are going to be guarding her because obviously they're going to be guarding her. That's just how it goes. We all read the script. Chaz comes up with an idea about, like, melting down gold crosses or some shit. So they're melting, I guess, holy gold down into being shotgun shells that he's making. Yeah, he's making some bullets. And uh, he also makes a comment about some type of a certain cross. I don't remember what it was. This is the third act at this point. I'm not catching details. (laughs) But he's like, oh, yeah, that that could really help. And uh, Papa Midnight says, yeah, he actually has one of those. So John agrees he's finally going to take Chaz with him on a job because Papa Midnight tells him, like, go on, give him a chance. 
And so Chaz is, oh, he's fucking stoked, man. He's going on a job. <laughs> <laughs> so Chaz, Chaz, then like Papa Midnight, like says a prayer over Chaz and tells him, like, if you, you know, if you come back from this, you talk to me and I'll talk about giving you entry. He goes, all right, I'll come back. <laughs> oh, boy. And then he goes to pray over John and John basically is like, fuck your shit. <laughs> they walk off. So we now get to the third act as we're going to do the assault on the hospital. And the plan for the assault on the hospital is super fucking basic. <laughs> they get in, and the place is abandoned, except apparently only one room. So John sends Chaz off to the boiler room, where he opens up the water main that feeds all of the sprinkler systems. Uh-huh. And he somehow just happens to force this cross that is definitely too big to go through the opening <laughs> into this water main. Yeah. John then goes walking into the waiting room of the hospital where it is filled with, like, fucking 30 demons, including Michelle Moynihan. And it does this whole entire speech about, like, if you all want to live, you're going to leave right now. And they're all like, ha, 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 you're an idiot, John Constantine. You're outnumbered. And he goes, okay. And he jumps on a chair and he lights his lighter over the sprinklers and they start sprinkling. And it turns out that that cross turned all this water into holy water. Holy water. And the third act of John Constantine's movie is the opening scene from fucking Blade. It's Blade? And tell me this isn't like John Wick, too. He's just mowing down these motherfuckers with this gun. So now all these guys are getting covered in holy water, which is breaking through their physical bodies, which Chaz says is what you need to do in order to destroy the demon inside of it. And John's just shotgunning these motherfuckers to death and punching people with those brass knuckles and et cetera. Um, and it's raining so inside. Still more rain, even yeah. though they're inside. And so he wins. They're all dead. Uh, he goes into the pool room where he finds Angela floating in the pool as well as the dead body of Manuel. The character that we have cut back to. Time and time again, he's just dead. threatening that he is this massive, big, bad character. Yeah. He's just a corpse the moment John Constantine <laughs> finds Manuel, him. Well, what happened? He you had shit. so much promise. Oh, I forgot to mention that when he goes to attack Angela, she did draw her gun on him and fired like 75 bullets yeah, that right. all went through him yeah. into the wall and didn't hurt him. Um, so they pull Angela out of the water and John's trying to help her out and Chaz shows up and it turns out that she's possessed by Maman. And so now they're trying to perform an exorcism, and it's the two of them together, and John's doing all the work, and it's not really working out, so then Chaz chimes in, and now they're both saying Latin, our fathers, and it seems like it's working, and everything's going well, and oh my god, we're doing it, we're doing it, we're holding him back, and then Chaz gets a little bit too cocky, <laughs> and he decides to throw out, you know why this is working? Because it's Kramer, Chaz Kramer, asshole, and then he gets thrown into the air, and he is ping-ponged back and forth between the ceiling and the floor oh, like four times until he is fucking dead. Chaz just wanted to be part of the group, man. He, want, he wanted to play, baby, but he wasn't ready. Good fucking riddance to Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> he, was, Shia. he was a fourth-string player out there with the goddamn opening lineup. He read all the books. He was well-learned, his scholar. He's, it's it's <laughs> like he was in a completely different movie than everyone he else. He was, yeah. Well, you know what? You know what, Imran? It's not like the books, is it? Not like the books at all, John. Oh no, you know it's not like the books. Turns out it's not like the books, y'all. <laughs> I always thought Constantine was a surfer dude with dark brown hair, dark black hair. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. no, that's it's it's a it's it's a line from the movie, Anthony. Uh, 
when Chaz is dying, he looks at me and goes, you're right, it's not like the books, because he read all the books about how to be a demon slayer. <laughs> but the movie That's itself okay. is not it's like also the books. not Maybe like the comic is. books. Yeah, it's not like the comic books. It, anyway, anyway we'll we talk then about discover that, <laughs> that the one who murdered Chaz was <gasps> Gabriel! This big twist. Done. It turns out Gabriel has been working with uh, Maman, and that is the divine help that he will require in order to uh, pass over into the human world. Uh, Constantine wants to know why the hell Gabriel is doing this, and Gabriel makes this whole entire speech about how uh, humans suck. You guys don't deserve to go to heaven. You don't deserve to be loved because you don't do shit, and you're not cool. Like, you guys don't even have fucking wings or, like you know, look good in, like, skin-tight white leather outfits. So, like, I'm going to go ahead and bring hell on Earth so that you all have to struggle to survive, and then you'll earn your way into heaven once you're dead. Jeez, what is- John- John's response is, you're fucking crazy. You're <laughs> insane, Gabriel. What a take on Gabriel, though. Kind, of a, I know. kind of a weird cockamamie plan to make people earn their way into heaven, but all right. Yeah. It's, it's little, almost little like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so John then gets thrown across the room back into the fucking, uh, waiting room and Gabriel like locks the door behind him with angel magic and then is getting ready to go ahead and cut open Angela's stomach so she can birth the son of the devil. But John decides he's got one last play he can make and he picks up a big old shard of glass and he slits his fucking wrists to kill himself again. Earlier in the movie... When John first meets with uh, Papa Midnight, Papa Midnight makes a comment about John Constantine, the only soul on Earth that Lucifer himself would come to collect. And it turns out that's not hyperbole, because fucking Lucifer himself appears to collect John Constantine. Well, I love the little moment right before he cuts his wrist. He's tr- he's talking to God first, right? He's like, look, yeah, I know he's, we he's don't begging, get along. He's begging God for help and sees that help. it's not going to come. Yeah. And so he just says, fuck it. And slits his wrists and time stops as Lucifer descends from the heavens in this off-white linen suit it's with amazing. his feet dripping in tar in what is the coolest fucking depiction of the devil I have ever seen. I mean, Peter Stomare in a white linen suit as the devil is pretty fucking, that's brilliant. And so he walks over and he's talking with Constantine and says, you know, it looks like, you know, you finally fucked up enough that I'm here and I'm going to take you away. And John's asking him about how's hell. How's the family? How's that son of yours? By the way, he's in the other room with uh, Gabriel and they're planning on trying to take over the world. And he's like, ah, I don't have time for your tricks, John. He's like, well, why don't you go check it out? You've been waiting 30 years for my soul. What's another 20 seconds? So Lucifer decides, okay, I'll call your bluff. Walks over into the other room and discovers, fuck, Constantine's telling the truth. And he puts it into it. Just boom, time goes back. He moves the girl out of the way. He stops Gabriel, burns Gabriel's wings off and throws her into the pool banishes his son back to hell and then goes back over and decides, okay, you're welcome, John. The world's safe. They're taken care of, but now I'm taking your soul with me like I plan. And as he's going to drag John to hell, he can't because it turns out by killing himself in order to trick the devil into saving the world, John has sacrificed his life for another and done good for once in his life. And he's now on his way to heaven. 
on his way to heaven while giving Lucifer the middle giving finger. Giving Lucifer the finger, which I would say out of any time, I feel like God's going to give you a pass for being crude if you're giving the devil the finger. I also love how he just calls him Lou. He's like, hey, Lou, yeah. how's it going? It's one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, but Lucifer decides he's not going to be tricked that easily. And he grabs John and pulls him back down to earth. And he says, no, you're mine. And he pulls the cancer out of John's lungs and I guess also heals his self-inflicted wounds. Mm. It tells him, you're going to live, Constantine, because I know that if you live long enough, you'll fuck up again, and then I get to claim you. Okay. And Lucifer's gone. And boom, time starts again. Now John's alive and doesn't have cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Everything worked out. And he goes running over, and he checks on Angela, and it turns out Angela, she's alive. Which is also fun. (laughs) Which is also fun. (laughs) (laughs) They talk about what just happened. They get real close, but they don't kiss. Nope, don't kiss. No, again, yes, it's the second time. And it turns out somebody else survived this ordeal, and it's Gabriel. And Gabriel no longer has her wings, and John has to explain to us, human. Which means without wings, angels are just humans. Now I buy that because that's the exact same thing that Kevin Smith's dogma told me. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say that's fucking law now. Well, thank you. Uh, he gets real pissed about the fact that uh, Gabriel was a part of this whole plan. And so Gabriel presents him with his cross shotgun and tries to goad him into killing them in revenge. Uh, which John decides not to do and instead just punches them in the mouth and comments, that's pain. Get used to it, which means I guess we're establishing here in the zero hour that angels don't feel pain. Yep, no, not until they're human. They're, they're but I guess that suffer. makes sense because they're like, you know, angels, all powerful angels, divine beings. Yeah, it makes, it's fine. It's, it's up, not man. bad. It's not bad. It's a little weak. Not bad. Um, and so they walk away. Uh, Gabriel calls after John about like, you know, showing forgiveness, John, you're improving, which God damn it, if she's not the best part of this whole fucking movie. (laughs) We then go back. John is standing on a rooftop with Angela, gives her the spear of destiny, and basically tells her, you got to find a place to hide this where not even I can find it. She's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's the end of our relationship. Weirdo. She leaves. Thanks for leaving this with me. And and then they almost kiss again here, don't they? Yet 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 again, it's like, oh, we're going to kiss. No, we're not. And so she leaves. And then we end on a fucking Mexico. I'm told the best things are buried in Mexico, <laughs> and then I'm gonna wipe. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna wrap it in a Nazi flag, so when it, someone uncovers it, they're not gonna know that it's evil. They're gonna be like, "What? This must be fake." <laughs> this real. And so here? she leaves the screen. I'm assuming leaves John's life as he gives a whole voiceover about uh, being Constantine. I guess. <laughs> I was really expecting it to be because this is post Spider-Man and Daredevil did this shit. Yeah. I was really expecting it to end up the line of who am I? I'm John Constantine. And, and then he jumps off the side of a building as yeah, like the new, new metal starts playing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as the hottest track from Saliva kicks in. There is saliva a perfect circle or, or like song Evanescence. Yes, yep. Evanescence starts playing as he leaps off and <laughs> or, or, or they could go real emo with it and go like uh, Spider Man Two d- Dashboard Confessional just oh, starts God. playing. Yep, stained song and yeah. so stained. Yeah, <laughs> we men make our way to the credits of Constantine, but yes, we're not done yet. Wow, because at the end of the credits of Constantine, 
we return to this world where we find John Constantine standing on the most movie set of cemeteries I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and Samuel Jackson walks out and goes, you think you're the only superhero? Yes. <laughs> this is a post credit scene before MCU. Looking at a tombstone for Chaz, <laughs> and he places his lighter on the tombstone and says, you did good, kid. And as he goes to walk away, a pair of wings suddenly appear behind him. And he turns around to see that it's Chaz, who I guess is an angel now. Yeah, he earned his wings. And he flies up into the sky, leaving me to question, What? Do all people who die on Earth and don't go to hell become angels? See, that's not the he... scene I got. I, the scene I got, Constantine puts the lighter down, he goes to walk away, and Patrick Swayze shows up behind <laughs> him in angel form. And all of a sudden, there's pottery showing up, and they just put... <laughs> Keanu and Patrick Swayze both put their hands on the pottery as reunited Johnny Utah and Bodie, and they just start making pottery to end the movie. And then, and then Sam Jackson goes, "You ever heard of the Avengers?" <laughs> and, then, and then, just because I mean, Brokeback Mountain was out at that time, they make a comment about how they can't quit each other, can't and quit then each other. we cut to black. Yep. <laughs> Demi, Demi Moore I see, I see that. I see that you got the sexy ending. You got the separate. You got the alternate post credit. I think scene. I got to Jesus. choose your own adventure, and that's the one yes. I chose. <laughs> you want yeah, to see the because sexy of all one? the choices I made, yes. I got the sexy ending. <laughs> oh, that was quite a journey through 2005's Constantine Delhauer. Well done, amazing again as usual. Uh, let's take a break here. We're gonna play some promos, and we're gonna come back find out what the fuck happened. To Constantine right after this. After these messages, we'll be right back. Big on America. Your organization's terrible. Hey guys, this is Jason Dutch with Dig on America Podcast, and I'm here with Big Hops. Do you have and to say your name so weird? How <laughs> you want me to say? <laughs> and I'm also here with Mikey Famine. The excuser por- excuser. <laughs> Do it over. No, it's staying. No, it's staying the way it is because this is the way the show is. Big on America here, we explore how American history, policies, and sometimes even our pop culture created the social and political issues facing Americans today. Uh, a little bit about us. I'm your resident brother of the league. <laughs> I love America so much that I demand she be better through constant criticism and protest. Thank you. And uh, in your Obama voice, Mikey. I don't oh. like Obama. Of course you don't. You also don't like bathing and healthy meals. What Dig on America is, is it's a healthy criticism of a country. We America's already perfect. You should know we're perfect just like my hands. Well, I mean, a lot of people might say that, but those people probably haven't gone to school or brushed their teeth today. So um, we're going to ignore them. But yeah, check out our show. It's unbeholden to any um, corporate overlords, except for Jay-Z, the Bilderberg yeah. Foundation. George Soros sponsored. George Soros. Soros. The Clinton yeah. Foundation. Absolutely. And uh, let's not forget Emotep. <laughs> <laughs> you can check out our website, digonamerica.com. You can check out all of our audio. We're on every single fucking audio podcast app there is out there, Pandora, Spotify, etc. Subscribe on YouTube. You can check us out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash DOA podcast. Hopefully you'll listen to the show, guys. I won't. Go fuck yourself. Big on America. Doc and her 
Listener, if you enjoy the show, there is an awesome fan club you can join and support the show. Visit jockandnerd.com slash Patreon. Jockandnerd! Where you can support the show on a monthly or annual basis and you'll get stuff. You get access to an exclusive podcast feed that has more content, bonus content. Anthony actually submitted the most recent piece of bonus content, Anthony. Uh, what you you did a big action movie bonanza there? What'd you review there? Yeah, I did a smorgasbord of action movies that I've watched pretty recently and just haven't got around to recording some quick thoughts on. So some eighties, mostly nineties. I did Conan the Barbarian, Red Dawn, Point Break, and then I did the Holy Trinity of nineties Nicolas Cage action movies: Con Air, The Rock, and Face Off. So I have to ask you guys. Yes. Have you all, I don't know if, whether, whether for the show or just in general, have you guys seen the movie Sudden Death starring Jean-Claude Van Damme? I have not, but that's one, uh, that's gonna, that's one on my list. It's definitely in the tournament. Okay, excellent. We will be watching I would li- that. I would like to be involved when it comes to Sudden Death, <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme. You, because you like that movie? It is what I tend to believe to be the best Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. That's what a lot of people say. I, I, don't, I yeah. don't remember having seen it. Although I have very faint memories of Sean Claude Van Damme playing goalie, which I think happens in this the, movie. Yes, the best way to describe it is sudden death is what would happen if Die Hard took place at a Pittsburgh Penguins game oh during the Stanley Cup championship. That's what happens. Oh my god! Yes. Oh, I gotta watch this. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I think that's one. That's a movie that's going to make our '90s tournament at some point. Yes, and I mean, but you cannot go wrong with the Nick Cage trilogy of uh, fucking Con Air, The Rock, and Face Off. Holy shit! Oh no, not all at all. That's amazing. Are great. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> I think the first the first time my friends and I ever did a night where we referred to it as Rage in the Cage. I think those were the three <laughs> movies we watched. Yes, you can listen to that now on Patreon. Uh, it's part of the benefits you get. You also get access to our Discord Hangout. We do once a month, like the third Thursday of every month. This month, you guys, is this week, Thursday, August 18th. Delhauer, you're always welcome to join us. I love when you oh, pop Oh, you know, in. I always love hanging out when I remember that you're doing it. I will let you know. I'm not, not going to be, be there. there. Okay. Anthony rarely <laughs> makes an appearance. Just, just like last month when we, we, tried to, we tried to convince Anthony that he should join in while at the gym. Shirtless. Yeah, you wanted me to join shirtless at some point. I, I didn't say shirtless. I just said I wanted to see you working out. Right. That would have been great. We almost got him. Don't don't you put words in my mouth. <laughs> I'll make myself sound gay. <laughs> Rugboy. Oh, Rugboy will be there, even though he's not here today. Uh, but he often pops in, and it's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, check it out. com slash Patreon. Support the show. Okay. Delhauer. What the fuck happened to Constantine? And did we? I feel like, did we make a mistake picking this movie? Because, look. Aside from the fact that in the comics, visually, it's uh, completely different. In the comics, John Constantine is blonde, and he's from Liverpool, right? And clearly, Keanu isn't going to fucking even attempt a British accent. And his stories are all set in, like, England, in London. Uh, And so they change all of that, and they make Surfer Boy a Los Angeles setting, Constantine, but it's a reimagining, so uh, what's your take? What the fuck happened here? So, what it turns out to be was Warner Brothers had been shopping around trying to get a Constantine movie made, or a Constantine movie made, <laughs> potentially, uh, since, like, the mid-90s. Oh. And really, the biggest thing that was holding them back was the first scripts that they were writing were more based on the comics, where they were centered around John Constantine being this... 
uh, smarmy British street magician who deals with magic and demons and all that kind of stuff set in London. Yeah. And all of the major studios. Well, so I guess it wasn't Warner Brothers that was doing it at the time then, because what it was was all the major studios that they tried to bring it to basically said, uh, no, we're not going to make this unless you make an Amer- unless you make them an American. Okay. So they're like, all right, well, we'll try here. No, 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 no. If it's not an American, we won't touch it. And so being British doomed this movie <laughs> to being in production hell for like six years. But apparently by like the late 90s, they then went, all right, fine. We'll set it in uh, L.A. and we'll make him American. And that's that's what we're going to go with. And they wound up getting picked up. I'm going to say by Warner Brothers, but at the same time, I guess what it was was they kept trying to pitch the script and Warner Brothers just kept saying no. Yeah. Because it's not like anyone else was going to do a DC property. Warner Brothers finally said yes when they said, okay, we'll make it an American character. It'll be set in London or in in Los Angeles. Um, And they wound up uh, bringing in and attaching uh, Tarsem Singh as director. Oh, uh, anyone who does not recognize that name, and I fully understand why, uh, Tarsem Singh directed The Cell, starring Jennifer Lopez, mm, Yep, The Fall, and Immortals, which came out in the late 2000s. Now, these are all movies that, by name, you're probably not going to recognize immediately. What pops out to me, though, is that these are all movies that are highly stylized visually in how they're presented. The concept of the cell is that Jennifer Lopez plays a social services worker who winds up teaming up with the FBI to use a new form of technology that allows her to enter the mind of a serial killer that's in a coma in order to try and find out, like, where he buried the bodies of his victims. But because it's in his mind, it's all very dreamscape and weird and, like, very hyper-stylized. It's a pretty good movie. So the thing is, is that the idea of Tarsim Singh bringing on a, a doing a Constantine movie means this movie would have been trippy as fuck. Tarsim also he did the uh, Losing My Religion video for REM, which was yes. trippy as fuck and like a weird uh, fucking uh, video. Again, like any director that came around in the time after Michael Bay, if you had done music videos, you were gonna get a movie. Yeah, they were all doing music videos. Yeah. Um, and at that time they apparently had approached both Kevin Spacey and Mel Gibson at one point to play John Constantine. Wow. Both hugely problematic people. Interesting. I was going to (laughs) say in the late nineties, very popular (laughs) down the road, major problems. Uh, but ultimately they settled on Nicholas Cage. Oh Oh, man. Cage almost got this fucking role. Cage was signed on to be John Constantine. Oh wow. Wait, when did Ghost Rider come out? Uh, Ghost Rider came out in 2000. I think it was 2005 as well. Wow. Let's see. It. No, 2007. So two years. Seven. Ago. 2007. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Problem was, was that when Singh decided, uh, I don't really like the script that you guys are giving me and just ducked out of the movie. Cage basically got dropped. Oh, shit. And I don't know if it was. I, I couldn't find out anywhere whether it was his decision or if the studio got rid of him. Okay. Better or worse with Cage? Which way would it have gone? What do you think? Oh, I think it's better. Cage. You think it would it's, it's more psychotic than our would have crazy. Had, I, I would say with Cage, he definitely would have emoted more and he would have gone to 11 in a lot of scenes. Yeah, there'd be a lot of finger. And pointing. also, I think that Cage could have brought more of the smarminess 
that is Constantine from the comics. Yeah, because he's a dick, right? He's yeah. an asshole. Like, he is he is an asshole, yeah. but like the big thing is is that in the comics, like John Constantine's like a fucking carny. Right. Yes. Like he's he's charismatic right. and he can make you yep. believe things, yep. but like you also realize like this dude's a fucking liar. Yeah. Whereas Keanu Reeves just one note. He's just playing. Yeah, he, he, Keanu, just, Keanu Reeves, it's just like it's it's sarcasm and at that is the most you get out of him. It's, it's 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 him doing Neo. It's like I have to be an asshole. So I'm going to do <laughs> like you like that scene where he's smoking in the elevator and, and you just read it and you're like, Oh, he's an asshole, but then you see it on screen and you're just like that's just Keanu. Like it's not. He's he's just trying. He's just playing an asshole in that second, but he's not really an asshole. I I put it to you this way: Can you imagine Nicolas Cage performing the exorcism scene on the little girl oh in the God, opening of the movie? Yeah, he, he's probably climbing the ceiling. Yeah, the moment the moment where he's pressing the metal against her not head, the I could I could immediately then just hear. It's Constantine, John Constantine, <laughs> asshole. Yes. Like That's it would have been so fucking batshit. Yeah. By the way, my favorite line—I think we skipped over it—was like when they're talking about God making plans, and then he just goes, "God's just a kid with an ant farm, kid. Uh, he ain't planning anything." I was oh, like, yeah. "That's it. That's the best line of the whole movie, right there." That it, that's also it is also. I, a good I, line. I would also I'll say this. I mean, clearly miscasted, right? If you're following the comics at all, C- clearly yeah. like. So so unbelievable. No matter who, yeah. So no matter who in that lineup, yeah. So and, and to choose Keanu is like so unbelievably miscasted. Yet he does fine. It works. <laughs> this yeah. this it little works version for what they give him, yeah, for the material he has, it, which is in in being asked to not really emote, he does fine. It's very obvious that I guarantee you a lot of the scripts got changed once Keanu came on because they were like, "Look, man, we got We got to skew it more. More Matrix." 100%. Reduce his lines and just make him Keanu lines and that's what they did. Yeah, just just give him his cool moments. Yeah. yeah, they just literally just did Matrix and they were they were this was like right after this Keanu makes uh that that, that alien movie where he actually plays an alien and he's just oh, like the, the remake of um the day the earth right, stood right. and just like oh, yeah. that's just full on Keanu at that point where he's just like I'm now just playing myself in movies. I'm just yep. going to be cool weird Keanu that can't emote or do anything it was it was literally the moment that people were like you guys realize like you kind of have to you have to like turn into the fact that like he doesn't act right right (laughs) and they're like yeah sure and what I think is really interesting about it though is that if you look at his career over time you look at the stuff he did in the 80s like you know with Bill and Ted and and you know a lot of that stuff moving forward there there is there's a cutoff point Right in like the early 2000s, like just around the time of Matrix and moving forward from there where that just stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what the, like the saddest thing about that is, is I'm pretty sure that's right around the time that his fiance died. Mm. Oh. And so it's like you hit this moment where like fun, energetic Keanu just died with her. Yeah. And now he's just Keanu. Yeah. 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 And so and it's like comedy because especially like when I when I saw the third Bill and Ted movie. Like the biggest thing that about it that I real I like pointed out to me was like, like yeah, Alex Winter fell right back into that character because yeah. he's like energetic and having fun with it. But like yeah. Keanu Reeves, like he doesn't have it in him to ever be that again. Yeah. He loves being John Wick, where he doesn't have to talk; he just has to fucking well, be badass. John Wick, but there was a portion of his career in the mid to late two thousand two thousands yeah. up into the two thousand tens where. It, his career was kind of sliding the wrong way. John Wick yeah. really saved his career again and made him John Wick back is the to being first Keanu. Keanu Sans. Yes. Yeah. So they wound up bringing on 
uh, uh, Francis Lawrence to direct. Uh, they decided on Keanu. There was never really any talk between them losing their first build of the movie and then coming to this one where there was any like back and forth about who was going to direct or who was going to be at like starring in it. I think it was like the moment that they were able to like secure Keanu, like everything just kind of fell into place because Warner Brothers was like, yeah, you know, he made a lot of money for us with the Matrix movies. We trust him in the role. We'll throw this this movie, this music director guy in there. He'll do whatever the fuck we tell him. But it, like Lawrence was still also able to have a lot of like his own visual direction to yeah, it. Yeah. And so from there, I think the big thing that really kind of fell apart was we were still in in 2005. We were still in a place where comic book movies were starting to become prevalent. They were starting to become popular, but they weren't, you know, we were still three years away from Iron Man. So, like, a comic book movie that is meant to be more comic book than movie still was not a thing for anybody outside of maybe Mm Spider-Man. But Spider-Man consistently felt like it was the exception because Sam Raimi had the pull and the balls to say, no, I'm making a comic book that's also a movie. Whereas anybody else who was doing that, the studios were like, no, 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 no. We can't we can't gamble on the idea that this colorful, crazy, bullshit cartoon world will work. We have to make an action movie that's based on a comic. I give him credit for making like an R-rated kind of horror version well, and of so it. So the, the interesting thing about that is that I, I lump Constantine in with like the 2004 Thomas Jane Punisher. Oh, OK, yeah, I see that. Yeah. Where the concept is, it is a movie that is based on a comic book property that as anyone who knows the comic book property can pick out the pieces that they kind of fed into it from the source material. Right. But ultimately, the plan was we're making an action movie, but we also have things we can base it on so we don't have to do as much work. You know what's funny about watching this movie is for the first time literally an hour, two hour, two or three hours ago, is having been inundated now with MCU stuff mm-hmm. and having the... Uh, perspective or the perception that this movie was kind of a joke because mm-hmm. Keanu's in it and it doesn't follow the comics at all as far as his characterization. I threw on the movie, you know, and it's a what the fuck happened, and I threw it on. And I went surprisingly more refreshing than I thought, and not as shitty of a what the fuck as we've done. Like I had not even close, thought. not even close yes. to the shitty yes. movies the funny, we've done. The funny thing is, is that's kind of the reason I wanted to do ah. this movie. Mm. I remember when I saw Constantine, I enjoyed the shit out of this movie. I thought it was fun. I thought it was an enjoyable action movie. Yeah. And as time went on, I was I was told by people this movie's bad because it doesn't follow the books. Right. And like my thought was like, oh wow, is it really like that shitty? I didn't realize like because I fucking had fun. Mm-hmm. But that's because it was aimed at me. I was the general audience at the time where I didn't know shit about Constantine, but I like comic books. So I want to, like, see this and check out this character. And I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, this was fun, you know. They did, like, I I like the mythology they built. The world building they did was really interesting. They didn't spoon feed shit to me. They didn't pretend like I was a fucking moron throughout the movie. I mean, maybe a little bit because the story's kind of stupid at times. But, like, it still was good enough to, like, get through. And it was good enough for them to fucking double their production money worldwide. Right. So, like. Truth be told, Constantine's not a failure. No, I, in any sense, I don't think so. It just, I think it's just it came out at a time where things were still being figured out, and 
again, you, you, you cast Keanu at a time when, when he's simply just Keanu, and it just, that kind of just took over the narrative of the movie. Yeah, and it's, again, in the same way with the, the Thomas Jane Punisher, it's the concept of this is a movie that if you're able to approach it and be like, look, I know the the, the source material because at the time I, I loved the Punisher comics when I saw that movie. I knew, I knew what they were pulling from. I'd read a whole bunch of it, and I recognized the places where it was different, but the thing that I didn't let dictate my enjoyment of the movie was just being like, oh, well, it's not exactly like the comic book. Right. Like, sure, the the characterization of John Constantine is very different. He's, you know, we get nothing that says he's bisexual. He's not British. He's not blonde. Right. He doesn't wear the iconic costume. The coat. And, like, instead of being a guy who can cast spells and, you know, bring fire up with his hands and talk to the dead, he's mostly, he's like a, a religious James Bond who has a bunch of funky, you know, relic gadgets that allow him to fight the dead. That's still fucking dope, though. Yeah, yeah, no, the whole thing's like an occult thriller, serial killer kind of mystery. And look at the the theological conversations that come up, the take on God and the devil wagering, you know, the, on uh, on Earth to, and and throwing things in the mix. Like God's kind of an asshole in this. Yeah. Like that's that's it's interesting. And the the other thing that I really like is that the the actors that were in this movie had a lot of say in how they went forward with their characterizations of the characters. Oh. I mean, maybe not Keanu. I don't know how much input he had because, let's face it, if he did, it means his characterization was like, I think I should smoke less. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, so the the design of Lucifer that yeah. Peter Stormare plays, yeah. that costume Peter Stormare came up with. Really? Wow. The original design that the producers and Francis Lawrence came up with was this generic bullshit idea of like, oh, he's going to wear leather pants and oh, a spiked oh dog collar oh God. and oh he's no. going to have tattoos all over. Like the idea of what like a Midwestern a- virgin in the fucking 80s would have thought the devil yeah, was. Yeah, cliched. Yeah. And Stormare was like, uh, I hate this. And he's like, I, I have an idea based on the, the concept of what you're bringing about of this religious like mythology that I want to go with. And he said, if Lucifer's a fallen devil, why is he suddenly dressing like a fucking gimp in an S and M like right. club? He would be dressed as the angel he used to be, but tainted. The devil. So it was. It was white. the off-white yeah, linen suit. That's crazy. With the staining of the tar on his feet, yeah. because the tar. The original design they apparently had for hell before they did the whole like blown up fucking you know Hiroshima look was hell was basically going to be like the void from Stranger Things, yeah. where it's just this black nothingness yeah. with this reflective tar like water floor. Okay. And that was it. And so when that his his idea for the, the costume came from that original design of hell, where he said the tar on the feet was the idea of he was an angel that got brought down to heaven and he can never reascend because the tar is holding him in place. Oh man, that's good. It's also like you think about like melted asphalt in Los Angeles. And it's just all yeah, over his feet. Absolutely. It's, it's a, really and, smart. Even even just the sound design of how you see it drip on the ground and mm. starts sizzling mm-hmm. before he appears. And as he falls to the ground, he's in the crucifixion pose. Oh shit. As he right. lands. Wow. Like it's everything that he does is a fucking insult to God. Yeah. That's well, amazing. What's, what's, it's fucking brilliant. What's great too is like his speech pattern and it's just he's taking a risk with the character. And it works like this movie in a lot of ways, you know, we mentioned 
visually how it there's a lot of really nice visuals in this movie and there's a lot yeah. of good like tone setting and 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 uh world building and then you just throw in Peter Stormare as 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 the demon and um like there's just way better actors and actresses in this movie than there ever should be and they're all oh, yeah. they're all other than Shia LaBeouf who's kind of doing <laughs> he he's acting like he's in a completely different the, movie the thing that i think is is very telling about Shia LaBeouf's performance is apparently he got this role because he had like sort of a bit side character part in iRobot mm. the year before. Mm-hmm. And oh, right. apparently as the movie was getting made, Akiva Goldsman was one of the producers on Constantine and Will Smith reached out to him and said like, Hey, I think that you should give a role to this Shia LaBeouf kid because I worked with him on iRobot and I thought he was great. I can't really remember a lot about iRobot, but I feel like he played the same fucking character. Probably. And that was the thing was like, he was told by like, you know, Akiva Goldsman, like you got this character because of your role in like iRobot. And so Shia LaBeouf was like, oh, so I have to play the exact same character then. I understand having sort of a comedic relief character tied up into this. Like, I feel like if everybody was so fucking dead set serious, this movie wouldn't have been as good. But the problem is, is that it's just, it's so very obviously like a growing up child actor in that role where it's like, this is his idea of like, this is what's funny. Me being street. I'm a street kid. He's so young. You're like fucking 19, uh, yeah. dude. Like Jesus. It, it just it like, doesn't seem like Keanu's character would ever be like, you know what? I I'm going to take this annoying little kid to be my personal cabbie. Like he just it doesn't seem like that those guys would ever Chaz. get along. I yeah. I feel like there had to have been a scene where they explained why Chaz was involved that they just got rid of because like in the comics Chaz is like the last friend that John yeah. has from his childhood. Yeah. Mm. And that makes sense that it's like, yeah, the dude I grew up with is now working with me in this job that I'm doing where I like hunt demons yeah. versus this 19 year old kid with no background who seems to own a taxi cab. <laughs> you know how hard it is to get a fucking medallion to drive those taxis. Jesus. What's uh, uh, what's the reason why this didn't uh, this didn't live on with sequels and so I think part of it had to do with the fact that the critics ripped this shit apart. Okay. Like they, they ultimately were like, yeah, you know, it's, it's banking on the popularity of the matrix because what was it? Matrix two and three came out two years before this. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they're banking on Keanu Reeves's star power with the matrix, but it's, it's not as philosophical. It's not as interesting and it's not as like fully stylish as those. So it's whatever. Mm. And I think what it was, was at the time, I wouldn't be surprised if Keanu was like, I don't want to go near this again because people didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it made a shit ton of money and Warner Brothers loves money. <laughs> but I feel like the fact that this was 2005, they put out Constantine and they put out Batman Begins. And guess which one uh, got the buzz right. and the other didn't. I mean, the movie's a little bit long. We could use a little trimming, like it. it it's it a little long, yeah. Bogs down here and there, but uh, this movie, I believe, does go on to be like a cult favorite. Like, I think a lot of people really yeah. love this movie now. It. I feel like 
in in the same vein as the Thomas Jane Punisher, like yeah. when it came out, it just kind of was met with this very meh attitude. Yeah. And as time went on, people were like, you know, this is actually a lot it, better than yeah, we gave it credit for. I was surprised. I was like, there's some cool shit in here. It is pretty influential. Let me tell you why. Because I also just watched Day Shift on Netflix. That's that Jamie Foxx, Dave Franco, Snoop Dogg vampire hunting movie. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And uh, first of all, the movie's okay. It's fine. It's, it's a little forgettable. There's some fun action scenes. But they have a similar scene where they're making bullets. They have a similar character who knows everything about the occult because he's read books. They have a scene that also takes place in a bowling alley. And Peter Stormari is also in Day Shift. Mm. So I was like, this is, uh, look at this, Constantine, uh, hugely well, influenced. Fun fact, I'm looking at the Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, director Francis Lawrence definitely you know, acknowledges that this movie's become sort of a cult classic. Yeah. And... Keanu Reeves in December of 2021 said, I would love to be John Constantine again. Yeah, there's been talk of sequels. Okay, so let me ask you this. Do would you want to see a sequel and would you want Keanu back in this? Now I think so in the time since the movie has come out, we have seen another John Constantine. Yes, Matt Ryan, who is and great. I, I will tell you, if I had to choose between the two, I would want Matt Ryan anywhere all the time playing John Constantine. He is a fucking riot. He voices, he does the voice in a lot of the cartoons also. And if he, I don't know if you guys it. watched the one season they made of the Constantine yes, show, good. he had his own TV show. He was on the Arrowverse it legends of tomorrow. Fucking banging. I loved that show. And when I found out it was not getting a season two, I was pissed. Like I would love to see him in an R rated movie. Cause he like fake smoking. Cause it's TV, but like I want to see him smoking and swearing and being, Full Constantine, but this in this reimagined universe, I feel like you almost got to bring Keanu back. I don't know why. No, if if I mean, if you're gonna do a sequel to the movie, yeah, you bring back Keanu. Well, Matt Ryan it's, needs a it's movie. It's just what it is. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the other side of it is, is that I know there has been talk recently. I think, I think we have mentioned in the notes here yes. that, that they are talking about doing a series on an HBO Max. Yes. That would be like filming sometime next year. It begins production next year. Now, well, you know, we we talked about the Je- uh, Zaslav and him fucking killing things. Apparently, this show is safe and hmm. it is going to begin production next year. It does it does sound like DC is going through another shift? Yeah. So I don't know that Zaslav would want to make a Constantine movie unless he knew for sure Keanu wanted to do it. But I think. I think it might, it, as you mentioned, it might be distant for TV. I don't know if we get a, ever get a sequel to it. I think, um, I think this is just one of those movies that was just a fun moment in time. Yeah. But I, I yeah. don't know if we ever see a sequel per se. I don't think we'll see a sequel, but I want to see Matt Ryan in a HBO Max TV show. You know, unbridled, yeah. R-rated. Give give him give him the ability to go balls to the wall yes. with the whole entire thing and i think he would fucking run with it the third version of constantine that you can also check out is on the new sandman show neil gaiman's adaptation on netflix there was a legal issue that prevented them from using john constantine so they have gender swapped the role it's joanna constantine she's like the same character she's related to john kind of uh but it works really well she's also it's a pretty good show i like the sandman uh, let me just share, like we said, it's cult favorite. 
I got to share a comment from Blake Braden. When you posted your little video of notes, Blake goes, let's go. I don't care that he wasn't British. I don't care that he didn't have blonde hair. I don't care that he wasn't bisexual. I don't care if this is a what the fuck episode. I fucking love this movie. I fucking loved it. Constantine. John Constantine. Is, it, is, this, the, is this the best movie that you've done of what the fuck for? Dollar? Um, I would have to go back and check my notes. I would have to go back and check my notes based on. Rotten Tomatoes scores. Mm-hmm. I don't know you, off you're, the top you're, of my oh, head. Your personal opinion. Yeah. Of when you- personal, I think this is the best movie we have done. Oh, yeah, the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Did we do okay. Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, we did do Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises, Rises Look, is such Dark a disappointment. Knight, Dark Knight Rises is is fine. It's fun. This is a movie where, like, when we watch Dark Knight Rises, the more I watch it, the more I just feel like I have to pick it apart yeah. because it is. It's so like lauded as like this amazing achievement of of comic book cinema. Yeah. Whereas for this movie, it's one of those ones where it's like, I don't feel that burden because like I just have fucking fun with it. Yeah. Whereas like I watch Dark Knight Rises and I'm like, how did he get back to Gotham? Yes, Wait, how thinking, did he yes. get to India? I was just thinking Wait, about why that. Why did that happen? <laughs> did why is it nighttime yes. now? Yeah. Whereas for this movie, I'm like, fucking, let's do this shit. Yeah. Kill them demons, yeah, bitch. Yeah. He fucking John Wicks out and slaughter. It's fucking. There's some really cool moments, and I was like, huh, maybe we picked the wrong movie. Yeah, this for doesn't what the belong in the stench of a what the fuck happened. <laughs> although it is fun to talk about. It is fun to talk. Um, about. Yeah. Let's see. Did I miss anything in my notes about this? Uh, number one, this movie is a part of Roger Ebert's most hated films of all time. Oh, excellent. Notarite. Yeah, he did not like this. I read that review, I think. I don't know why. Um, so I made mention at the one point about how Michelle Monaghan was playing a demon in, that was just like randomly in the yeah, hospital when he that? started killing all of them. Yeah. So she had a much bigger role in this film that they cut almost all of it out. Oh. She played Ellie based on Chantanelli from the comics, oh. a half demon, half succubus, I believe, oh. in the comics. Uh, that would have been John's lover in the film. Oh, shit. But Lawrence felt that uh, having John be alone throughout made the story more poignant as he went through it. Oh, you know what? We didn't need a forced romance in there, did we? Well, and that's the thing. With all the times that we're teasing whether he will or won't kiss um, yeah. Rachel Vice, yeah. like to be like, oh, but he's already banging this half demon on the side. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I feel about this. I guess maybe it's the idea of like, oh, he is a sexual being, but like he won't do that with her because she's uh, pure or some dumb shit. Mm. <laughs> made it would have made the movie a little longer, so I don't, I don't have a problem. Yeah. 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 The uh, the big one of the big differences between the comic outside of how he looks and his sexual preferences uh, in the movie, they say that the reason he is damned to hell upon his death is because he once committed suicide and died for two minutes. Right. In the comic, it was that at one point uh, when he was younger, John Constantine summoned a demon into his own body that he could not control, and it dragged a young girl to hell. Mm. Oh, he was experimenting there with the magics early. So the interesting thing is that in the movie, um, Gabriel makes reference to him about you cannot go to heaven because of the life that you took. Oh, and so if you're a fan of the comics, you'd be like, oh, that little girl he killed. And then you find out the reason is the life he took was his own. Gotcha. Um, character of Father Hennessy was actually a mixture of three different characters from the comics. Mm. Nige Archer, a friend of John Constantine's, was a psychic. Rick the Vic, who was a priest. And Heder, who was a portly substance abuser. And all three of them, like Hennessy, all died in their storylines due to being associated with Constantine. Yeah, you don't want to be friends with John, you're going to be dead. 
Uh, Papa Midnight also from the comics, I believe, right? Papa Midnight, in fact, from the comics. Uh, I believe, I don't know if he runs a nightclub, but I mean, you know, he's a a witch doctor associate. Yeah, these half-breeds got a party somewhere, you know. Uh, Last bit I have, this is a fun little piece. Uh, Francis Lawrence adamantly refused, despite studio pressure, to add a romantic angle in which Angela and Constantine would fall in love. Yeah. He felt that the idea of them finding a romance in this dark and abysmal story didn't make sense to him. This was at the behest of Rachel Weiss, who admitted when she was uh, filming the role that she was really hoping she would get to kiss Keanu Reeves oh, while filming. Oh, they could have just filmed that anyways for her and not used uh, it. This is apparently the second movie the two of them worked on. They were in Chain Reaction oh. in 1996 oh, together. Shit. Oh, yeah, I mean, again, we always complain about oh, they got to do the kissing and the forced love interest. I mean, I think it was it worked. It was he may have been right on that one. I honestly, yes, I agree that I believe the idea of the two of them then becoming like a romantic couple is fucking stupid. Yeah, it is very nineties. It's very like cheesy. Yeah, it's like a Bond movie. Yeah. Oh, I fell in love with the woman I was dealing with this week. Yeah, like every movie. Nah. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't think I have anything else, right. so I'm going to go ahead and say, and that is John Constantine. Fantastic. There we go. Tilda Swinton steals the movie. That's what we find out. Del Howard, thank you so much for your time and effort and work. It is much appreciated. Why don't you tell a listener, uh, you want to plug anything where they can say hello or leave you a friendly piece of comment on the what the fuck happened? Uh, if you guys want to try and interact with me on the internet, good luck. No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm constantly on social media because I'm insecure and plugged in. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, if you really feel the necessary. All of them are at MattyDVO72, M-A-T-T-Y-D-V-O-7-2. Um, at the same time, there are plans to at least get maybe one episode of the ginger geek podcast oh, out whoa. before the end of the year, whoa. because I have some ideas. I have some inspiration. I have a new microphone set up. I just have to actually, you know, get the writing and stuff put together. So, uh, executive dysfunction, activate. Fuck it. Do it a yearly show. Once a year it comes out, that's fine. We take your time. So we'll, we'll see what comes of that, but you know, maybe, maybe I'll make it a special treat for y'all because I love you and I hate me. Oh, what are you doing over there on the TikToks? What, what kind of stuff is over there? I just stupid shit. Yeah. doesn't fucking matter, yeah. man. It's, that's what TikTok is. I guess that's what it is. Like, yeah, yeah, it every out. so often, maybe I'll put up a video, but mostly I'll just scroll through it and waste three hours of okay. my life. Well, <laughs> listener, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Visit our website, jockandnerd.com. If you want to get in touch, support the show, all that fun stuff. Thank you for listening to the Jock and Nerd Podcast. My name is Imran. My name's Anthony. He's the Jock. He's the nerd. We'll peep you next time. I really don't give a shit. Oh, there's Rock. Lame. Fuck that show. Jock and Nerd.